Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Faculty of Horror, podcasting from the horrid halls of academia. I'm Alex West with Andrea Subasati. Happy 2023, Andrea. Halls of 2023. May it be kinder than the last year. Can we cheers? Yeah. Let's let's drink to it. Cheers. Cheers. Year 11. Here we go. Mm -hmm. So clearly we somehow survived our live show. And uh, we had so much fun, and it was such a full house. And thank you to everyone who came out. Uh, we raised a cool uh, $2,500 for Sistering, and the donation has been made. So we're so, so happy that could happen. Yeah. It was wonderful. Thank you to the Garrison for being an amazing venue. And to our sound person, M. if you're listening to this, you were great. And I thought our audio for the live show was about as great as live audio oh. of a podcast gets, even though... I didn't sit as closely to the mic as they told me to, and I'm pretty sure I dropped the microphone hugging you at the very end. Oh, I thought that was me who dropped it. Somebody Somebody. dropped it, and the audio just kind of cuts out. You guys have listened to the episode, I assume. The audio just cuts out, and I was like, oh no, did they not hear the last office hours are closed? But it came back. (laughs) So I don't know how any of that worked, but it was wonderful, and yeah. Listening to that episode gives me warm and fuzzies. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. And hangover flashback. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Visceral, visceral, sherry soaked hangover. Yeah. Miss Mac does not fuck around. No, Miss Mac fucks. <laughs> That's what we learned. Um, but it is a new year. And what better way to start a new year than to look back and wrap it up and put a bow on 2022. So this is our annual year in review episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always a lot of fun. We like to talk about what our favorites were from the year uh, and have a bit of fun as well. Mm-hmm. How is uh, 2022 for you? Awful. Um, easily the worst year of my life. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Why am I running? We've never lied to our listeners. I'm, I'm not about to start now. To start? Oh. I really, really struggled. I struggled in all aspects. And, you know, it wasn't the first year of the pandemic, but I feel like it was the year where the, um, the results of the pandemic really hit me. Uh, I was really struggling with my mental health, with my motivation. You know, like when it's hard to get out of bed, it's hard to give a fuck about anything that you're doing. And that really extended to every aspect of my life. And uh, I'm feeling much better now. I, the move, I moved. Yeah, I moved <clears> to the office, which was tremendously labor intensive and super duper stressful. I'm all settled in now. I'm feeling a whole lot better. But uh, when I look back on 2022, I think of frustration, um, helplessness, uh, struggling, barely keeping afloat. But according to my list, some good horror movies came out. Some very good horror movies came out. But how was your year? Uh, I mean, I my 2020 and 2021 kind of gave me a bit of uh, emotional whiplash. Uh-huh. Uh, so 2022 also felt busy, but it felt like a bit more of a healing year, Mm -hmm, a bit mm -hmm. more of like, you know, something is ending and in something ending, something new is going to begin. I'm not sure what that is. Mm -hmm. No major plans for anything, but I, you know, even just emotionally, like, I don't know, something feels a bit refreshed within me. And so I feel like the last year I just kind of had to like hunker down, do some reflection work and, um, you know, ride it out. But I was so grateful to start to get to really see friends and family again, Mm -hmm. to hug them, to hang out, 
casually. Um, it's it's kind of special when that's a, like a bit of a big thing again, yeah. um, while still being careful. And, you know, I looked, you know, at our best of 2022 list as I was compiling mine and like the theme for it is like fun. Yeah. Everything I loved, maybe with the exception of one, is like, I would argue, a very fun film or a fun time. And even the one that I think is maybe the outlier, I'm like, that was still pretty wild. Yeah. And I did actually have kind of a blast watching it. Uh So um, I'm excited to get into it, you know? The movies are back, baby. Yeah. Actually, the same. The same. Taking a gander at my list, there's there's some there's some big heavies, but overall, looking back at last year, it was a year that I watch. I rewatched shows that I love. Mm. I re-listened to audiobooks that I love. I think I was really groping for like past comforts, yeah. as opposed to uh, kind of like thirsting after new releases. And I think that shows in my list. But yeah, fun. Fun was sought desperately, and fun was had. Yeah. So, I mean, we don't generally do like a, you know, rough and tough, like this is our rigid top to bottom best of. Like, I think my number one film is probably my number one film, but there's a bit of fluidity. But Oh, hell yeah. I think we were talking yeah. earlier about how trying to revise these lists oh, up to the moment of I've decided that they're printed out, so I can't fuck with them anymore. But every year when we do this episode, you'll drop a title that I either forgot or you'll give a reason that I forgot about. <laughs> Maybe I should have moved that around, but no, this I'm sticking to this list. Yeah, so we're going to start roughly at like the quote-unquote bottom of our list, uh-huh. but this is all content as I look back at the year that I was actively recommending to people. Okay. Like, watch it, like, love it, or, you know, experience it for yourself. So, yeah. um, do you want to go first? I can go first. Yeah. Um, so, the bottom of my list... Uh, which means my number 10. It doesn't mean my least favorite film, but my least favorite of my top favorites. Uh, I put Mad God. Uh, Mad God was uh, Phil Tippett's stop motion masterpiece. If you caught the feature on it in Rue Morgue magazine, basically this film, he, he's, he's a stop motion guru. And this film took about 20 years to put together. And that is because it is made up of all these weird disparate set pieces that he picked away on at his own time in between, you know, some, some really big high profile stop motion and special effects gigs. It's a film that doesn't have a tremendous amount of narrative. A lot of the quote unquote horror in it is gross out, but I fucking love claymation and I love stop motion. And so I felt like this film was a really a feast for the eyes. And it was a film where upon, I didn't interview him for the feature, but upon reading that interview, I was like, this is a big deal. This is an important film. I'm glad he made it. I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad it exists. Great. Did you see it? I watched about 15 minutes of it. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, I I enjoyed reading about it. I read the feature in Room Morgue. I read a few other things about it. And I love the story of it Mm -hmm. and how it came to be and why it came to be. And it's like sumptuous visually. Mm -hmm. And you can see the effort and the attention that went into it. And the expertise. Yeah. It's all so present in there and it's fantastic. But I was like, after, yeah, like 15 minutes, I was like, I get it. (laughs) And I kind of fast forwarded it. That's fair. And, uh, but he did do the, uh, gulag for Shudder this past year. I didn't know that was him. Yeah. And so, yeah, I had that on a few times and that is also so beautiful and a very cool thing that Shudder did. Yeah. So I only actually have nine on my list. I couldn't like heart of hearts, get it to 10. Interesting. Um, so, and I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit. It's a season 
of a show, and it's season four of What We Do in the Shadows. Ah. Showrunners uh, Robinson and Paul Sims. Um, if you aren't watching What We Do in the Shadows, I highly, highly recommend it. It is such a delight. It is such a treat. And at the end of season three, certain things happen, and I was like, okay, the show has run its course. I don't know what this season four is going to do. Mm-hmm. I think they've jumped the shark, and uh, they just came back with like fresher and wilder stories that were so grounded in the world that they had built and the comedy, the uh, darkness, the gore, the wholesomeness of it. Like it's doing all of these things. And I just find it so impressive because it is so entertaining. Um, And if you want to hear more about uh, what we do in the shadows, I was just on the evolution of horror podcast uh, to talk about the film and the TV show. So um, we talk a lot about that on that episode with Mike. Nice. Yeah. It's one of those shows that I dropped off and I don't know why. Maybe it was the shark jumpy end of season three thing, but it was one of those where like we would get distracted. One of us would fall asleep and then it'd be like, oh, you need to watch this to get caught up. And I'm already ahead of you. Or I don't have a reason why I dropped off. And that happened to me too. Like I watched the first season or so during the pandemic and I was like, oh, I like it. And then the person I was with at the time was kind of on it and it just dropped off. Uh And then this year, um, our friend Joanne was like, are you watching season four of what we do in the shadows? And I was like, no, I'm not. I want to get back into it. And she was like, listen, I'm just going to tell you, Nadja tries to open a club in the style of the blood rave from Blade. Oh, enough said. And I was like, what? And so like, I, I went back and I started, I restarted it again. And it's such a joy to watch the whole thing in season four, which just like, that is hilarious to me on so many levels, most of which, because I've been trying to throw a blood rave type thing here in Toronto for years, years. I've been trying to do a bloody prom where at midnight there's a prom queen and everybody gets doused in blood to the Blood Rave song. And people in my Twitch stream keep saying I remind them of Nadia. You need to watch season four. I really do. I'm writing it down. Yeah. Um, Because it doesn't necessarily go well. Of course it doesn't. <laughs> As it shouldn't, but it's such such a delight. And uh, you know what? They, uh, they, they shoot in Toronto, so maybe they'll let you some sets. <laughs> Nice. Believe me, it's hard to find a venue with the proper drainage. I have looked. Not saying that's not a storyline. <laughs> show. <laughs> Might be. That rules. All right. My number nine, smile. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, it's silly, guys. Like, again, fun. We're talking about yeah. fun. This was a film that when I saw the trailer and I saw the poster, I was just kind of like, this looks like such a basic horror film. And then when I watched it, I felt like it had more style and depth than I perhaps expected. Uh, That said, I feel like it um, falters in its uh, its final act, and I I do have some problems with it, but, uh, but I still enjoyed it. I still recommend it. I wouldn't be mad to see a sequel next year. Yeah, same. I didn't make my list, but I also really enjoyed it. I I think the third act has such interesting themes within it that I wish it had a bit more time to grow because it just, I was like, whoa, 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 we're, we're, whoa, okay, we're going here now. And Mm -hmm. I was into it, but I just wish there had been a bit more breathing room within it. Yeah, it didn't really stick the landing. I agree. But some great, like super effective shots. And I I think I might have been saying to you, Andrea, that um, obviously like the film industry is in chaos right now. Is cinema a thing? Is streaming the thing? They don't really know what to do. Mm -hmm. And Smile became one of the huge success stories, especially for Paramount. Um, And Smile 
Hell was always labeled as a straight-to-VOD uh, film. Mm-hmm. And then they tested it, uh, and it did so well on tests that the new head of Paramount was like, let's just put it in theaters. And mm-hmm. it became one of their biggest hits. Yeah, I love that. Love it. Um, my number eight is Scream. Yee! Am I allowed to say where that was? How do we do this? Well, let's... Okay, so if you've got it higher, we'll wait till we get to yours. To talk about it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Hold on. I got shit to say. I had it higher. Yeah, great. Yeah. Okay. What's your uh, What's your next one? Resurrection. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Not a perfect film. Again, it kind of went from Cabin in the Woods to Hellraiser without entirely capturing the charm of either of those two films. But I thought it was really interesting to watch. There were really interesting shots that happened. Really interesting point of view trickery um that to me really called to mind the actual experience of catching something out of the corner of your eye and how your perspective can distort things it was really interesting camera work uh i dug it nice yeah it just didn't resonate with me i think thematically it's such a tough subject Mm. uh, because it's about this woman and this potential ex of hers who is very abusive coming back into her life Mm -hmm. and you know that was something where i was like oh maybe this will really you know get me and i you know was like made sure i was in a mentally healthy space to watch it and and i was just like oh it didn't commit okay. to that. No. And I agree. Like, I think there's some really strong sequences in camera work, yeah. but that's where it kind of ended for me. Cause yeah, there's yeah. this huge emotional thing at the core of it that I was like, ah, it's not connecting with me at all, mm-hmm. you know, but very cool. I like Tim Roth. <laughs> uh, me too. He's great. Yeah. Um, my number seven is fresh. Ah, amazing. That one made it into my honorable mentions. Nice. I loved it. Yeah, written by Lauren Kahn, directed by Mimi Cave. We did a fact flash over on our Patreon of it. Do you remember how, what a relief that fact flash was? That was like the first one we've ever done where we, you know, talk about a new film that's come out. We we do a little intro, we watch it, and then we come right back and we give our takes on it. And almost unanimously, they have been terrible. Terrible. Like just the movies themselves, we've just been like, oh, and this one Halloween was so kills, good. Mortal Kombat, uh... I think there was another couple, yeah. but that one we were like, we love it. We're delighted that we love it. And holy shit, true to the title, this feels fresh. Yeah. And I think where I kind of felt a lacking of thematic cohesion in resur- something like Resurrection, there was such tangibility in the scariness of becoming intimately involved with someone. Yes. And, and like it still stays present. I wanted to rewatch it over the holidays. I didn't get a chance to do it, mm-hmm. uh, but I still recalled so much of it. And mm-hmm. I was like, that's the fucking sign of a great film. Yeah. I was recalling scenes and I was like, yeah, this happens. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I love it. So I'd good. like to revisit it as well. I think it's streaming on Tubi right now. Yeah, it's on. Uh, it's also on Disney+. Plus. Oh, okay. Is that yeah. where we saw it the first Yeah, time? and I think in the States it's on Hulu. There you go. My number seven, one of two. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so by that, I mean W-N-U-F. I say one of. Most fans I know say one of, but maybe you know it as W-N-U-F. It is the sequel to Wenuff Halloween, the special. Halloween special. And Wenuff 2 is like the mega super tape or something like that. Mm-hmm. And rather than being steeped in the 80s, it's steeped in the 90s. And the whole conceit of this film is that it is recorded off TV from back in the day. And I might be aging myself here, but back in the VHS era, you know, part of the experience of VHS was not only 
movie rentals and home video that revolutionized the format, but also recording stuff off TV and then going back and watching that and seeing all those old commercials and getting that nostalgia, that shitty tracking. The ads were part of the fun. And both Wanuff and Wanuff 2 capture that nostalgia really well. And uh, Wanuff 2, I thought, was a perfect sequel in that it drew from what was great about the original and improved upon it, but it it also still felt fresh in its inclusion of 90s tropes. And I don't think I loved it quite as much as I loved the first one, but I loved it enough to make number seven on my list. Nice, because um, Andrea actually uh, assigned me on another thing we do on Patreon called You're In For A Scare, where uh, we make the other one watch a film or some piece of content that the other one hasn't seen before. And mm-hmm. I hadn't seen the first Winnuff Halloween special. So she assigned that to me and I loved it. There's an episode. If you're on Patreon, you can find it. Um, and then you let me in on, I think, a link mm-hmm. so I could watch it, the yeah. new one. And um, I think it was a case of I watched them too close together. Okay. Because the first one is so good. And I think the second one has its merits. But yeah, I think if I went back to it in like a few months, I'd probably enjoy it. Well, yeah, more. for me, there was several years in between. And yeah. it's like, oh, they're making another one enough. Is it going to be as good as the original? Is it going to capture all that? And I was pleasantly surprised. Nice. So yeah, maybe some distance in between yeah. would have behooved you. Uh, my number six is a little Canadian film called Slashback. Ah, I still haven't seen that. I loved it. It was so much fun. It's uh, directed by an Inuit director uh, by the name of Nyla Inuksuk, and it takes place in a remote community in Nunavut, which is one of our northern territories here in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is energetic. Mm-hmm. It is fun. There is some like horror stuff. Uh, it's not a huge budget film. So I think you kind of manage your expectations thusly. Some of the CGI is a little, oh, but then there is some stuff where they make shit happen. And I was like, oh God, that is terrifying. <laughs> like it's shockingly like effective. And it's about these four uh, preteen girls uh, or young teens in this small community and an alien lands uh, nearby or is uncovered nearby and they have to protect their community from it. So it's got a bit of like kind of rare exports attack the block energy mm-hmm. mixed with a healthy amount of the thing. If you've got to put in those elements, but it's very much its own thing. And one of the things that impressed me so much about it is uh, the performances of the girls and the dialogue. The the screenplay by uh, Inuksuk and Ryan Craven, um, I just thought was so adept at what I feel like young people talk about. Like there's bartering with stuff over the phones and phone cases and like all of this stuff. And I was like, God, this feels real. And I wish I'd had this kind of film um, when I was growing up, but I was so glad to see it now. And um, I know it's available in the States. Anthony Hudson from Gaylords of Darkness has talked about it. Uh, So I know you can get it there. So um, definitely check it out. It's just under 90 minutes and it's a really fun ride. And another great thing about it is it really spends time developing the community Mm. and exploring what this kind of community is like, what it is to live in this area. And uh, there's an opening um, moment where it leads in with the uh, CBC noise, okay. which is our national broadcaster. Love it. Uh, with the radio sound. And uh-huh. I was like, oh, we're in Canada. 
<laughs> I was like, what am I doing? And yet it's more readily available in the States right now. Uh, well, it's on Crave. Oh, it is. Yes. Yeah. Again, this is the great unfortunate fate of so many Canadian features. They get funded through uh, government agencies such as Telefilm. They will do um, some festival circuits. I know this one played at South by Southwest. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to a streaming service like our Crave, which is kind of like HBO Max. Yeah. Um, but they don't get promoted. Yeah. So then they're on there and no one fucking knows about it mm-hmm. unless you search for it. Um, but I was really glad I made time for it. Check it out. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. Those, oh, also probably the best score of the year. Wow. Um, all indigenous creators and um, Tanya Degak is uh, a, a part of it too. I don't know who that is. Uh, she's an Inuit throat singer. Oh shit. Did you bring her up? Um, yeah, I think we've mentioned her before, but yeah. she's so cool. And so like this kind of like energetic, like throat singing yeah. and like this incredible music done by the community. Like I was just like partying in my living room watching Love it. That. Yeah, It's been high on my list. I remember assigning it for review in the magazine and the review in the magazine echoes exactly all of the strengths you just mentioned that it has a lot of kid power, Goonies yes. energy. Yes. And, uh, they quoted it toward the end that you don't fuck with the girls from Pang. Yep. And so when people mention Slashback to me, I'm like, you don't fuck with the girls you from Pang. You don't fuck with them. They're and they're so- like, you've seen it. And I'm like, no, that's how powerful that catchphrase is. Uh, and it also, like, it deals with so much of, like, um, the indigenous movement and the land back movement and things like that. Sometimes in very subtle ways, there's a couple overt calls to it, which is so fucking badass. That is so fucking badass. You know, with the loss of Jeff Barnaby this year, it's so great to have a strong Canadian voice on this subject, you know. It doesn't make up for where we are in the reality of that situation, but... um, but Watch Slashback, check it out, and uh, then read up on a lot of these movements because yeah. they're they're amazing. They're important. Yeah. All right. My number six, the cover story of the November-December 2022 issue, The Harbinger. The Harbinger is uh, written and directed by Andy Mitten, who has worked with Robert Eggers in the past. He also had uh, a frequent collaborator that, uh, that he made some films with, including uh, Yellow Brick Road and oh, yes. another one whose name escapes me. But um, but the Harbinger was a uh, festival sweetheart that uh, that made its way to me through my staff. And when I checked it out, I was like, holy shit, it is not an especially unique film in its villain that kind of infects you via nightmares. But what was unique about it is what this villain threatens to do is to erase you, to erase your existence from everyone's memory like you're just not there anymore. And the setup is very firmly rooted within COVID-19. And I think of all the films I've seen that have been released under COVID-19, tackle COVID-19, none of them have addressed how it feels to be in COVID-19's grip. The isolation, the paranoia, but also the animosity Uh, between you and your fellow human being, the neighbor who won't wear their mask and scoffs you for wearing their mask. How do you interact with them? Basically, the the movie concerns a woman who is being very, very careful because she lives with her older father, but also she has a former roommate who is all alone and is really struggling Mm. and needs her. So there's a lot of internal turmoil as to like making these decisions, having to make these decisions and having these decisions impact the ones you love. Mm. For me, that has been such a fundamental difficulty of COVID-19 that I haven't really seen reflected in the media of it. And I love, love, loved the way The Harbinger did it. Cockfire script, amazing performances, 10 out of 10 recommend. 
Oh, okay, great. I'm excited about that. I, I don't know if it's available. <laughs> it must know. be. It must be because it must be because that is <laughs> that is the uh, the the deal breaker. Yeah, with no, regard obviously. to putting something on the cover, so it has to be out in some capacity. And I've gotten so much mail from Remorg readers saying thank you so much for turning me on to the Harbinger. I hadn't heard of it. I hadn't seen it. So it might take some digging, but it's worth it. I'm sure if, uh, I can probably rent it. But yeah, no, I remember you telling me about it because I. Really enjoyed Yellow Brick Road and have been really like hankering for a rewatch of it because I watched it like several years ago and I remember being quite taken with it, just the bigness of it and the absurdity of it. And I was like, wow, we are swinging for the fences with this film. Mm -hmm. So to hear he was doing something else was um, very exciting. And um, I remember receiving my issue, very carefully putting it on my coffee table, reading the things I knew about and <laughs> okay no this is a good reminder good right. reminder there it is check out harbinger uh my number five is uh the film men written and directed by alex garland pin okay pinned we're gonna pin that in favor of another pin that we can unpin which is scream scream was my number five fuck yeah scream Loved scream it. it was so good it was so good and it like it was a light in the midst of really disappointing sequel requel mania, yeah. and I felt like a scream reboot would have been so easy to yes. fuck up. So my bar was low, and it and blew you're not me like away. I am a scream fanatic. I'm not a scream. And stan. you're like oh, okay, yeah. So uh, I was I was so pleased when when we talked about it after you'd seen it and you and you responded to it because I I really did. My really appreciation of the original Scream has ripened mm-hmm. over time, mm-hmm. over discourse, over talking about it with you, over reflecting on it, over rewatching it. And I felt like the reboot did it such justice. Yeah. Everything that was great about it updated appropriately, sensitively, and intelligently. Check, checkity, check. Did I have me crying in a theater during the Scream film in did 2022? You? Yeah, I did. Did we see it together? No, you were uh, you were away that month, so I saw it with Allison Lang, oh, and she yeah. and I did the Patreon. That's right, episode of it. And oh, it, it was so good. Oh, thank you. And if you ever want to feel anything deeply and emotionally, like go hang out with Allison Lang. Yeah. Like she, she just has this way of like, oh God, I feel things. Oh, She's so effusive and like oh, it comes in her best. body language. I saw her just the other night, so I'm yeah. still basking in the glow of yeah. that, which is Allison. Um, but no, we had such a blast, and it was. Uh, I remember it was like in a snowstorm, and things were like really weird. But we like persevered, and we went, and we recorded <laughs> the Patreon, and it was just such. A blast. Yeah. And it was so much fun. I am excited for the new Scream. It's the same team that worked on this, on the 2022 one for the 2023 one, uh-huh. uh, which is coming out, I believe, in March. Uh, I'm very sad because Nev Campbell is not returning. They could not meet her, um, the, the pay she wanted. You know, I saw all that and look fair. It, well, looking at this Halloween reboot, they gave Jamie Lee everything she wanted just to shoehorn her into a piece of shit crap movie with a Fair. character that had expired. You know, I think I, I was seeing a lot of discourse that was demonizing 
Nev for being greedy, for abandoning this character. But, you know, sometimes you're just fucking done. It's a boundary. It is. It's a boundary. And I think as, you know, you have to respect that. Um, and I respect her from walking away. I I, um, I will probably miss her very deeply. Mm-hmm. I will, of course, see the new one. I'm glad Courtney Cox is back uh, yet again. And um, I have every faith that these filmmakers will give her the send off. That is appropriate. Yeah. And also uh, Kirby, uh, who's played by Hayden Panettiere in the fourth one, who I loved in the fourth one. She's, she's coming back. She's apparently in the new one. Okay. Yeah. I've heard it might be a very small role, but I, I don't care. I'm I'm so into it. Ghost Dad, Skeet Ulrich. Who knew? It was fine. The way Allison and I screamed yeah. when that happened was upsetting to everyone else in the audience. I wish I was there, but on the other hand, I was you probably were on, on a beach, beach smoking yeah. a coconut menthol cigarette <laughs> with one hand in her camera. You were, you were somehow, other. I imagine, not thinking about Scream while Alice and I were trekking through a snowstorm. Probably not. But, um, but I'm glad you did. Yeah, it was very fun. All right. So I'm going to go to my number four. Yes. Orphan first kill. I fucking loved this movie. I was starting to wonder because I was like, it didn't make her list because I didn't expect it to be this high up. I just like, I don't even want to say that much about it because I haven't uh, seen it. Yeah. And we'll talk about this in a second. Yes. But um, I was like, I'm a big fan of the original. I was like, okay, we're doing a new one. Isabel Furman, who is now no longer a child and in her early 20s, is coming back as Esther. Couldn't imagine anyone else doing it. All right, all right, all right. And then I watched it and I was like, I watched it alone and literally had like my inner Allison Lang come to life. Yeah. I had the best fucking time. Oh. I was like, this is the best. This is so much fun. I fucking love this movie. Great. Let's light shit on fire and burn it all to the ground. Now, we so, were just talking about your in for a scare. Yes. Being an offering on our Patreon. And it's a show where, yeah, where, where, where one of us recommends a film to the other. And Alex was aghast to learn that I had never seen the original Orphan. And I quite enjoyed it. So Orphan First Kill is on my list. But, like, on my list of stuff to see, I didn't think you liked it this much. I liked it that much. Wow. It's still, like, it has, and one of the reasons why I love, or some of the reasons why I love the original Orphan so much is it's very much a B-movie. It's very trashy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's very well directed, has like great actors in it, mm-hmm. like working in it. Uh, Isabel Furman is incredible as Esther. Um, and so it's got this kind of mix of high low within it mm-hmm. that I think is so enticing. And it's so comfortable, like we yeah. said before, that like we want comfort movies, we want fun, just entertain me, take me away from all this. Yeah. And so um, Orphan First Kill has, in my opinion, all of that. And I don't want to say anything more about it. I, I don't want you to read or hear anything else about it. Just watch it. Okay. It's a fucking blast. All right. Done. Deal. Yeah. My number four is men. Mm. So let's talk about that one now. You saw it before I did. Yes. You saw, I think, at a press screening? Yes. I got an advanced press screening. And uh, and so it was it was a very closed screening, which is to say there were a handful of journalists. It was in like one of those VIP screening things where you're sitting really far apart at like 10 a.m. in yeah. the morning. Oof. And I watched it with a member of my staff and we came out and we talked about it and I thought about it and I thought about it. But then I felt like what really informed my reception of this film was people who saw it later, people who saw it in a crowd. And people who engaged in the wider discourse that really illuminated this film for me. 
Yeah. I saw it um, a while later. It, it came to um, one of the repertory cinemas uh, near us. And uh, so I got to see it there. And it wasn't by any means um, a full theater. I'd say maybe a third full. Um, and the crowd was like so into it. So it almost felt like it was a packed house. Oh, that's great. And they were responding to it. Like la- we were laughing and also like going. <laughs> and uh-huh. like like it was such a joyous small screening to be at. Yes. Um, and I think I've heard it compared to the Darren Aronofsky film Mother, which okay. I think is very apt. Mm-hmm. They're very, you know, like a deep overarching metaphor. A very obvious metaphor, yeah. I dare say. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're not on board with that, yeah. it's not for you. And I've heard so many people derive the film. And it's not like when I read those criticisms or I hear those criticisms, it's not that I necessarily disagree with it. It's just that this level of metaphor told in this way with these actors and this milieu reached me yeah. in that deeply personal way that mm-hmm. I'm still working out how to, how to articulate. A yeah. uh, bit of a personal plug. I'm doing um, an online lecture for the Miskatonic Institute in May about the specter of Brexit in British horror films. And I'm going to be talking about men mm-hmm. in that lecture. Good. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. Because you saw it very close to the release. Mm-hmm. Would would you have like run more stuff about it in the magazine? Oh, for sure. Yeah. As soon as I heard it was a new Alex yeah. Garland film, I was like on board. But they were they, they were keeping it under wraps, and that's always that's always the most complicated thing with running a magazine that's bi monthly. Yeah, I need stuff way 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 early. And indeed, having seen the film, if I had to just watch the trailer, looked at some images, and interviewed Alex Garland, Ugh. that talk wouldn't have gone the way I would have wanted it to go. It wouldn't have been a rumor worthy talk. So so it's kind of a shame that it fell like between my cracks. The ending of that film? It explodes it, it, into absurdity, but I feel like everything the metaphor represents in that film is absurd and yet absurdly real. The fact that we can watch this and be like, that pastor is going to be lecherous. Mm-hmm. That kid is yeah. going to be misogynist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The friend is going to say this. This and this is, is going to happen. I found it so fascinating to hear that people who watched this film in a packed crowd, the women were kind of like, Yep, I got it. And the men were like, well, wait, what is this what it's like? And it's like, yeah. And I love that it took a visionary filmmaker and a visionary filmmaker was willing to take this on and be like, "Okay, boys, let's fucking smarten up. Let's do this. It's everything that women know. It's cathartic to see in the same way Mm -hmm. as Mother. But I feel like whereas Mother was perhaps inaccessible and how abstract it was about about, um, the invisible labor, the mental load. And we talked all about this in in our episode on Mother. Men, the metaphor is obvious, but at the same time, apparently. It's not all that obvious. And so I feel like this wasn't a film for me. It was almost on behalf of me. Yeah. And yet I stand behind it. Yeah. I remember watching the ending of it and just being like, what the fuck am I watching? And yeah. then I it was I saw it in the summer and I had a very lovely, you know, I've got a 30 minute ish walk back to my place. And it was like the sun was setting. It was kind of midsummer and it was nice and like it was like the perfect weather. And I just walked home and I was thinking and thinking and thinking about it. And I was like, There's no other way that film could have ended. No. No other way. It had to descend into madness. Yeah. Because that is the only way this situation in real life is going to resolve itself is if we acknowledge the fucking madness. And that was my quote unquote unfun one in this list. Yeah, me too. Um, Oh, no. I got another one. Oh, great. Um, But I was so, uh, but I still was like, that was still so wild and absurd and energetic in so many ways. I love it. Yeah. 
Cool. My number three, another prequel, Prey. Hey! Directed by Dan uh, Trachtenberg, who did 10 Cloverfield Lane, written by Patrick Aysen. Um, It is the prequel to the Predator films um, set in uh, the indigenous communities of what is now America. Um, It it is so badass. Mm -hmm. It is so fun. Amber Midthunder is goddess. Yeah. Yeah. I was so hopeful for that film uh and it came straight as soon as i heard that dan t was attached Mm -hmm. i was like this is gonna be something different this isn't gonna be like an action movie it's not gonna be the weird one with adrian brody it's not gonna which was robert rodriguez Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh there was that other one which was mired in controversy um which i wound up watching and really didn't care for I'm, I'm very fascinated by predator the film franchise if you guys like that franchise let us know i'm kind of interested in doing an episode. alien with abs yeah love it it's mm-hmm. so good um and masculinity and all kinds of stuff are mm-hmm. at play and so this really showed the other side of the coin and did it in such an entertaining way while also being um you know talking about the history of america talking about all of these different things a lot of french people die it was fantastic yeah it's it, it was a really interesting tack for a predator film because predator as you know is an alien who is very very high tech what gives the predator such a great predatory edge is his cloaking abilities his his internal computer yes. and all that shit everything is very high tech digital one of my favorite things is t- predator always has these big like mask alien hands and yeah. when he always has to go like boop 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 yeah yeah on his like wristwatch i, I relate that's me using my phone <laughs> with my nails boop boop yeah. It's so funny. And so to see him pitted against a community that's so often perceived or, or depicted as quote unquote primitive. Yeah. Or so at like very analog bow and arrow, but also predatory instincts carried on by tradition, feminine instincts, feminine ingenuity. It, it's very rewarding to see that contrast and see it work. There were a lot of narrative threads that uh, that like kind of came full circle in the end, even with those French assholes. I found it a very satisfying filmmaking And again, similar to Scream uh, last year, it was part of a really huge franchise, but it wasn't just like playing the hits. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like, you know, fucking whack-a-mole with callbacks. It was, you know, taking an understanding of those films while saying, okay, what do we want to say about it? Mm in this new era that we're presently in and how do we want to examine the past? I was like, yes, it looks simple, but it's very hard to do. Yeah. Uh, so, so we'll watch Prey. Fantastic. Yeah. It made my honorable mention, but not my top 10, but I'm happy to talk about it. Is it time for my three? Mm-hmm. And we're in our top three. Alex. Yeah. We haven't had a whole lot of crossover. No, I accidentally saw what your number three is. Oh, God damn it. We have none. No. We have no more. You saw my top three? No, I saw your the number three. Number three is Watcher. Yeah. Chloe Akuno's Watcher. Yeah. Now, it's not on your list because mm-hmm. you didn't see it or you didn't like it? I didn't like it. Ah, it is so divisive. This is one where my sister, my eldest sister, had 
COVID at the start of the holidays. And I was like, if you need something to watch, she's like, I saw it. I hated it. And I was like, okay. This was one that was so strongly recommended to me by my Twitch community that I almost watched it just to shut them up. Oh, sure. Yeah. And um, silencing people is like a big deal for you. Well, it's like, (laughs) what is the big deal? It just looks like what it is. It looks like a lady rear window combined with Lost in Translation. And, you know, I can't say that that's not the case. But what I can say is that the feels this movie was able to engender in me, I was concerned, I was suspenseful, I was shocked, and I was satisfied. And that is the narrative arc I demand of an entertaining 90 minutes. Great. I don't think it was super long. I don't actually know. If no, it, was it wasn't. It wasn't long. I um, I don't think. I think it was right around the 90 minute mark. Yeah. I mean, it definitely engendered a lot of the kind of 70s paranoid thriller aesthetic in, you know, the production design, the shot style. Uh, and I've been watching a lot of those the last you know year or so. Um, so I appreciated that. Like I thought that was something they were actively trying for, and the team nailed it. But the actual story and mystery, I was like, what? That? All right. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel panic. I didn't feel fear. Mm. I, I was just like, you need to get a life. There was definitely a, a shifting of sympathies that happens throughout where, you know, at one point, I think this is a film about uh, a woman who feels like she's being watched. Uh, there's also a serial killer yeah. on the loose and she is in a strange environment where she doesn't speak the language and she's kind of at odds. And... um And she's trying to get people to believe her. But what I loved about the film was the way her paranoia, people would be like, what do you want me to do about it? Yeah. And she'd be like, I want you to believe me. And it's like, okay, let's say, I. what do I do? And so I think a lot of the time when we talk about kind of feminist, uh, like the ideological feminist goals that don't have a very clear, actionable path, it's like, well, how do I do that? How do we believe survivors? How do we, how do we actionably do all these things that need doing? Sometimes there isn't. Yeah. And so I felt sympathy for the men in the situation who were like, I'm not in your shoes. I don't know. Yeah. I won't talk about the ending, um, but uh, I liked it. Yeah, and I know a lot of people didn't, and I can almost see why. It just again, it was one of those things that I think it's such a personal thing, and it just didn't reach me. Yeah. And so at the end, again, we don't want to talk about like the the kind of quote unquote resolution or, yeah, or yeah. You know, anything like that. Uh, it didn't work for me. Okay. And if it works for you, then I think that film is like fantastic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And everyone should check it out and see it for themselves. Um, it just didn't get there for me. Fair enough. Yeah. My number two, uh, Barbarian. Ha ha. First uh, horror feature from writer-director Zach Krieger. I super enjoyed it. I've had it quite hyped for me and i watched it with um now guest of the show chris hayes Uh, he played laurie in our little halloween dialogue um and we had so much fun watching it i uh really appreciated the narrative risks it took um the love for the genre it clearly has um it, it just did a lot of things that i thought were really bold were really assured and it had fun with it. Mm-hmm. And it dealt with some really tricky subject matters in a way that I thought was actually quite accessible. Yes. Yeah. I would agree with that. It made my honorable mention list, but not my top 10. Mm-hmm. It was another film that was tremendously overhyped. And while I did enjoy it and I enjoyed certain aspects, sure. 
uh, what you're talking about absolutely resonate uh, the shifting sympathies with a so-called victim of cancel culture um, discussion about where the Airbnb industry mm-hmm. is um, uh, greed differing standards of security with men and women. I thought it nailed, but the ending didn't reach me. And the more I think about it, the less I like it. Interesting. I actually feel like it kind of blew the ending worse than Smile did. Interesting. Yeah. And it's just, they do kind of have parallel endings. They do. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not to spoil too much. And but. It, it's a rare thing where I can say it should have ended like this, but it ended like that. And if it had ended like this, I'd like it so much more. And I feel like as a viewer, I shouldn't have that narrative power to be like, you fucked it up. <laughs> This is how it was supposed to go. That would have made a great film. People are often interested in my thoughts of what would constitute a good horror film. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not a filmmaker. I'm not a creative. But uh, I felt like Barbarian didn't stick the landing. But what it did do well, it did very, very well. And I respect its place on your list. Yeah. And I think, I, I mean, the ending really worked for me. And we've, mm-hmm. we've kind of come, we've discussed this a few times already in this list with like Resurrection and then uh, Watcher and things like that. And this, I think the ending just worked for me. Mm-hmm. And the narrative threads I was picking up on and we're like, oh, yeah, okay, this, that was the journey I was on with it. So mm-hmm. that's the mm-hmm. landing it stuck for me, mm-hmm. you know. Really interesting film, really innovative. Uh, it's, a, it's a debut from the filmmaker, I believe. Yes, yes, the like first feature. A, the yeah. little indie film that could yeah. love that story. And yeah, maybe it'll make its way on to a main feed episode one day. Wouldn't mind it. Number two? Yeah. For me? Yeah. The Innocence. Okay. The Innocence was um, the heaviest film on my list. It is not fun. No. It is not at all a fun watch. However, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a very technical film critic, but I feel like that film was beautiful and flawless technically. Uh, narratively, it really resonated with me. And I had a really great interview with the filmmaker, Eskel Voigt. It was the cover of the... I think it would have been the March-April issue yeah. because I remember when I saw it, I was in Mexico and I was talking with Rodrigo about right. it. And, and and just the filmmaker was like, we often think back into our childhood as like with, with rosy rearview lenses, you know, like we think of all the good times. But in reality, it's a very scary time. And it's mm-hmm. a time where you don't understand the world and the belief that magic might exist is kind of a mystical, lofty, like, do you believe in magic? Well, magic is unexplained and kind of scary and like the unexplained phenomena is pretty uh, terrifying to young kids and young kids are due to their immaturity capable of uh, tremendous cruelty and I felt like that film hit those marks in a, a really tangible way and it was uh, a, a tremendous horror feature from a very thoughtful and competent filmmaker and it knocked my socks off. Nice, yeah. I, I did wind up watching it you over the holidays. You did? I was almost advising you not to. Do you remember? Yeah, no, we talked about it because of some of the cat stuff. Uh, cat if you love cats, content warning. Um, but I was like, no, it's, it's you know, it's something I want to watch as, you know, a critic and not just a cat mom. <laughs> Although I am both. Um, dualities exist within me. Um, it, to me, it was just, again, this is this is just the the subjectivity of, of this work uh it was just way too fucking slow for me mm-hmm. i was like oh my god i fucking get it mm-hmm. move it along and i think it just it wasn't grabbing me in the way that i think it grabbed a lot of people mm-hmm. uh and i i it just missed me yeah yeah, yeah. 
Like, again, like I said, it, it was the least fun. It was a heavy, long, arduous watch, you know. But it's one of those horror arty art films that, uh, you know, you can't deny is confident, even though. Sure. Maybe yes. You don't I, w- I would it. agree with that. I would absolutely yeah. agree with that. My number one. I'm positive is not your number one. Okay. Okay. Uh, nope. Not my number one. Yeah, I can say because we saw it together. We saw it together. <laughs> Uh, we also did a fact flash on that one. I fucking love Best nope. of the Year. I'm actually surprised. I knew By you liked far. it. Wow. By a landslide? Well, no, I loved a lot of these. It, it just was like nothing topped it. I rewatched it over the holidays and I just, I fall, I fall in more in love with it. Wow. I think it is so bold. It is so confident. It is so daring in what it's going to say and how it's going to say it while being entertaining to me. Um, side note, Andrea and I saw it at a preview screening to which Andrea walked out of it and said, oh God, I didn't think it was going to end. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I quite liked it. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those where, like, you know, sometimes we disagree. And, like, yeah, you know, oh, we're, it's the nature of it. Ten years in, we're okay with disagreeing gracefully. But when it comes to a Jordan Peele film, if you don't like it, you always wonder if you miss something. Sure. And that was 100% the case as we sat down at a bar and we took out our mic and we started discussing the film. And I was like, oh, okay, I missed this reference. I missed this implication. I missed this, this, and that. But even having that illuminated to me by you did not ripen the film in my view. Sure. It's it's also like I come from a family of filmmakers and this Nope is about a family of filmmakers as well and what filmmaking is and and what that... So I think like it just spoke to me in Mm -hmm. a way I had no idea I was looking for in any sense of the word. Um, And it's scary. Like, oh my God, it's scary. It's dark. It's gory. The fucking alien scene, the blood raining on the house, all of that stuff. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't be sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to. I'm just teasing. Um, no, it, it, it's just, it is like, it's swinging for the fucking fences. And I am here for it. Give me it. Give me it all day long. I fucking loved it. Here's my thing. If I don't get it, that's one thing. And that's one thing that that can make my opinion of it change later as I reflect upon it, as I read upon it. What is not forgivable to me is that I was bored. Okay. And and I think that's especially unforgivable when I know that Jordan Peele is capable of injecting beats of humor, injecting interesting characters, injecting wit and rhythm and yeah, I felt like he kind of fucked it up. Well, I think I, it's almost, it's, it's a strange thing because he's always going to get compared to Get Out. Of course. Which is his original film. It's a very high bar. Yeah, his first, it's his a near perfect first feature film. he won an Oscar for. It is a perfect film, in my opinion. It's a very contained, focused film. Right. I think if he was perpetually doing these small, focused films, how would you not eventually just be remaking Get Out over and over and over again? Yeah. I would much rather see a filmmaker do something big and fucking weird and strange that has this heart that I did not expect from it at all. I don't know. It just felt so present and so urgent. And the way we talk about stories and the way we tell stories and what we treat spectacle with. And uh, I mean, again, this goes back to, you know, like my own degrees in theater. And we were always taught about like Aristotle's rules of theatricality and like the rules of performance. And spectacle was always the lowest. And to me, I think Nope is so fascinating because it kind of asks the question, like, what if spectacle is the biggest thing? Mm -hmm. And 
And I feel like in society right now, we are always at the mercy of spectacle. And I, I love it. I love it for its bigness, for its talking about how we talk about stories. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, I think it's brilliant. I will say that for a film that I didn't like, I do re- deeply respect that he is always trying something new. All his films yeah. have been very different and that's going to keep me coming back. Yeah. It's not going to be a situation where like, oh, I give up on this filmmaker because they're just. <gasps> totally. Yeah. No, no, no. Fucking and, the dog. And I don't want to see the same thing again and again. And I also like, and I think all the performances were so strong across the board, especially on the rewatch. But Daniel Kaluuya is, I don't know if there's maybe a better actor in that Mm -hmm. generation. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Incredible. He's playing this quiet, introverted character, and I'm like with him every step of the way. Like, uh, uh, uh. Cinema. That was your number two? That was my number fucking one. Fucking one. Okay. Does it get better than Nope? Well, does it? Let's hear it. My number one was Hellbender. That was in my honorable mentions. Okay. So Hellbender, uh, uh, well, they not only won um, the cover story of the Jan Feb issue, I believe they were the best feature uh, of 2022 as voted by the Rumorg staff. Oh, nice. So that's another accolade to give them. And um, look, this film is as indie as indie gets. This was made by a family of, I think they're actually a family of five, but only four of them really embarked on this film. But under COVID, they just grabbed a camera. They came up with a story. Some of it was improvised as they go, but what a fucking talented group. In addition to it being an excellent story, performing their roles very competently, there are these musical interludes Mm -hmm. within this film that are so fun. And, you know, I don't have a super close relationship with my mother, and sometimes I wished I did. And the uh, bonds that held this mother and daughter team together in this narrative, to me, were just heartfelt and heartbreaking and very, very real and relatable. Um, It was about feminine power. Uh, The special effects were lo-fi, but incredibly Totally worked. And I felt like it was a film that delivered the thrills and chills, but also a tremendous amount of heart. More than any film on my list, it it, it gave me warm and fuzzies. And um, I, I was really proud of them and for them. Yeah. And I think they have a bright future in filmmaking. And they've also been very gracious to me and to Rumorg. We did um, a watch party, mm. a Cinemacob watch party, where we invited them just like, can you pop on for a half hour and answer yeah, some questions? No. They came for the whole fucking thing. They were so lovely. They answered all the questions we had, like technical questions, thematic questions, really lovely people, really lovely film, really fresh voices in the genre. And I loved it. You again tipped me off on that one. I'm not sure I would have seen it otherwise, uh, but based on your recommendation, it did make my honorable mentions. It's such a strong, exciting film. I, I find sometimes like music that the characters make kind of feels shoehorned in, but it felt so intrinsic to this film. And the music itself was was fantastic. I, know. I don't expect um, to like music ever because no. I'm such a picky patty. But uh, also, it's a film that I watched at home and I would love one day to see in a theater. Oh, yeah. To like mm-hmm. fully, like a, just a nice, big, immersive experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Should we talk maybe? Um, I've got at least one honorable mention that we haven't chatted about yet. I have two. Great. I go first? Sure. I want to give an honorable mention to the boys. Oh, yeah. It's a TV series. I love the last season. No? It just feels a little repetitive. Okay, so The Boys, for the uninitiated, this is uh, a serialized... 
TV series that is based on a comic book series, as far as I know, yes. although I believe it has uh, deviated from the source material. I haven't seen the source material, but I've heard it's superior. The TV series being superior to, to the comic, that is. And um, what it does is it posits, like, what if superherodom were real? But not only real, but commodified Mm -hmm. and part of an institution that is also a corporation. And what I have found over the course of this series is that every season is seizing upon an opportunity for a very current and contemporary social commentary. Every single season has done that. And this last one, I'm trying to think of an example, but I I think like there was, there was nods to Black Lives Matter. There was nods to uh, Trumpism and populism. And like, if everybody is going to hate me, they can at least respect me. Mm -hmm. And like just the kind of rhetoric that came from uh, Homelander, who is a very Trump-esque villain in his tyranny. And uh, it felt like as the season went on, every single episode was just like, holy fuck, this is so smart. Nice. Yeah. I really, really like the boys. I, I think the last season just, it, when you're coming off a season with a character like Stormfront. Stormfront. He's so like, blah. Yeah. Um, it just felt a bit, I, I didn't advance the plot as much as I wanted it to. And with Soldier okay. Boy and the fight at the end, I was yeah. like, oh, we've just kind of wound up back where we were it felt like yeah um so yeah it's still great it was still very entertaining i will i'm excited for the new season um whenever that is and uh yeah uh one of my honorable mentions we did not talk about is hatching that was my other honorable oh very nice hey look Lined up. Say that. Um that was another one you tipped me off on uh it was on the cover yep yeah really uh, interesting, creepy, strange coming of age body horror yeah. mixed in with an influencer culture, which I thought was so smart. Yeah, the influencer satire aspect was really, really well done. Uh, the perfectly manicured feed uh, yeah. was really graphically portrayed throughout the film. And I think my appreciation for that film was really heightened by uh, getting to know the director and the writer through the interviews I did for that cover story. Um, one of the co-writers, Ilya Routzi, has made a couple of short films. Yes, you sent me a few of them. They were so good. Fucking hysterical. Night of the Living Dick. That's right. It sounds ridiculous. I don't know if it's still on YouTube. I can't remember if I was sent just a, a, a YouTube link or, or a private link to something that was private on YouTube. But like these writers know exactly what they're doing. Uh, yeah, cool. So good. I'm glad so you good. also liked it. Yeah. Well, we ended on an agreement and we didn't oh, even plan that. that. Very different best of lists, evened out in the honorable mentions. And, you know, I've got a list of stuff to watch. You've got a list of stuff to watch. And I think our listeners might too. And we've got more to come, but uh, just a brief belches. Yeah, brief interlude coming up. <laughs> okay, Blanche on the beach. Blanche on the beach. Got this. Blanche on the beach. I have faith in you. God bless you. Hi, everyone. I did a weird. Hang on. Did you? Oh, yeah. That is weird. Stop it. <laughs> I'll let you guess what she's doing because there could be guesses. Let's set the stage. Ready or not, here we come. April Fack, gonna haunt you and bling, 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 bling. Queen, bling, 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 bling.
Stop me if you've heard this one. Ooh. Oh, you want it, you want me to pick up on pedophilia? If you like, <laughs> or I can keep going. With more g g g ghosts. Oh, Dante says head dope. They're coming for you, Dante. They're going to arrest you for being too cute. <gasps> I have theater majors. <laughs> didn't, didn't get them in math. So if I'm wrong, just let's all let this slide. <laughs> that does speak to the strength of the novel, because there is a lot of text pulled directly from the novel. Well, let's talk about that. There's a lot of text pulled from Jeez, the novel. Son of a bitch. Like what? <laughs> And I think the other thing that lends itself to the rawness of the film is the fact that this is the fact Ugh. that. Tw- what about that? The mythology. <laughs> and when. Did you hear that? Yeah. It sounded like a clank. Yeah. It almost sounded like a, a buckle, like a metallic. Yeah, that sounded metallic. Okay, now I'm spooking myself. Is our vault haunted? Our vault totally fucking haunted. Totally fucking haunted. But it's haunted by like lame ghosts who like just have like, hey girl, what's going on? Or like sing karaoke. You think so? Yeah. <laughs> Here's some white noise for you. <laughs> Pleasant dreams. <laughs> I just love cheese. <gasps> <gasps> important to mention uh, that is important to mention i don't think we could go on without without that important note uh we'll link that one in the show notes <laughs> that Which was is so cringy and tragic sorry our burritos <laughs> turning off my ringer I apologize by derek uh, you're gonna have to take that author again yeah jeepers it's creepers. two paragraphs it's two know. whole paragraphs what the fuck I always say, if I can't say it in a hundred words, it's not worth saying. I never said that, ever. (laughs) Want to have a three-way with it? No, I don't. (laughs) How can you tell it was uncut if he had to take out 30 seconds? Hey. What? What do you mean? I don't know. He's trying to make a circumcision joke. Oh, good one. So it's one of... (laughs) Please cut that out. Yeah, it didn't work. Sorry, I ruined it. Can I talk about England? After this... Sorry. He can't do anything. We jinxed it. We were just talking about how fucking good he was, but you better take that again. Yeah. It's a satire that uses horror methodology to say it. And superheroes. And superheroes. Or antiheroes. Or antiheroes. I'm going to stop. (laughs) I'm going to stop parodying that. Yeah. Take that all again. (laughs) She's so tiny. I can't hear her. Okay. I I just don't see you like this. I'm trying to. It's like. I don't want to say that, like, when you hit 40, a timer goes off and things happen, but my tits are huge and fantastic lately. Really are. Thank you. I don't know what to Thank do. I'm I can't stop looking at them. <laughs> look away, as in look at them as much as you want, or look away. You do you. Okay, let's right? get the synopsis. Here we go. We're getting too silly too early. Oh, no. That was a big, airy gulp. That's going to be a burp. Okay, it's fine. Ready? Yeah. <laughs> have pushed out that burp on purpose to give myself a break to get my notes in order yeah yeah i can help you thanks <laughs> yeah anything else gross stop it no <laughs> as long as it makes everyone uncomfortable She's i'm clapping fine. with the tops of her hands oh there's a chip i wonder if it's a new chip or an old chip taste that one way to find out that's an old chip yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh god that's I can taste the dust <laughs> <laughs> Grrrr. <sighs>
salty, crunchy, crunchy grease. Bop, bop, bop. All right, let's society. You mean you love like Nick Cage and Tori Amos and Nick Cave? <laughs> but I do love Nick Cage. I will vote for him to be president of, of my naughty your butt. Uh, Dante is being a squawk a doodle. <laughs> Salvation is here. <laughs> I'd be like, oh my god, yay! <laughs> Take yeah. the wheel, Moses. <laughs> Not Moses. What was he called? Caesar? Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. All right. Take the wheel, Jesus. <laughs> Fuck this week. Fuck it in an elite orgy. <laughs> okay. Listen, now you're freaking me out. Get to the chopper. Okay, well, we'll get you a British estate home. And fuck me in it? No. Cut. <laughs> Clip. <laughs> I tried. Are involved in some very peculiar sex... <laughs> You clockwork oranges out of this. Um, and we're back, gang. What a funny year we have had with outtakes. So I think it's really fun now that I'm not editing anymore to listen back to these episodes once they're edited. Because now all those it's a outtakes. surprise for all of us. Yay. So we're now going to do a bit of a different segment for us. Um, this is based on a YouTube series from the magazine GQ or Gentleman's Quarterly. Um, and they do a series with actors and various notable people called uh, I Can't Live Without. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll have notable people come on and they'll just talk through all of the stuff that they love and couldn't potentially live without. There's tons out there yeah. on YouTube. Every celebrity, even minor celebrities has one of these. And like, they're not exactly the same as what's in my bag. No. What's in my purse. These are uh, things I can't live without. And it was an interesting exercise putting together this like, list. I kind of treated it as like, I'm in Cormac McCarthy's The Road. And if I have these things... Mm-hmm. Then I won't Charlize myself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That was kind of my approach to this. That was kind of my approach as well. At first I was like, okay, what did I bring to Mexico when I was spending a month? What am I going to bring to New York when we're going for three days? But then I was like, well, there are some things that I wouldn't particularly bring to that. But what are things that I would sorely miss if they didn't exist? Things that enrich my life and things that might be edifying or interesting to someone else to hear about. Yeah, and they're just, they're things. They're not living things. So just to be clear, we're not picking our pets because otherwise it would just be our pets. That's right. And you know, some of mine are pretty bougie. Oh goodness. I'm about to out myself as uh, the basicest of Bettys. I bet there's, there's, there's basic things out there that are delightful and, and we should, we should embrace them. Yeah. We can go bottom to top again. I, I don't have a bottom to top. I just have a like, ah, uh, I, I need these things. Okay. Okay. Let's do it that way. Do you want to start? Sure. Uh, oh gosh. Uh, it's embarrassing. But my first one is, and cause it was one of the first ones I wrote down, uh-huh. Estee Lauder Advanced Night repair. That's good shit. It's a serum. It's a skincare product. I fucking love it. It is not cheap. It is not cheap. And it's also not the most like expensive serum out there. It's It's, not? It's no, there's far more expensive ones. Okay. So it is the single most expensive skincare product I've ever treated myself to. And I've rebought it. Yeah. Because it has become something I can't live without. Yeah. Um, I've gone through periods where I've tried to find dupes for it. I've researched online and I've bought those dupes and I'm just like, no. Even other Estee Lauder night serums. Yes. 
Yeah. I'm not a big like Estee Lauder uh, skincare or makeup fan. I like one of their mascaras. Other than that, no, no, no. But the Advanced Night Repair, there's some kind of black magic in that that makes my skin so happy. Yeah. And it's not only from um, a look of it, but the feel of it. Uh-huh. But I'm not using it for a while. My skin becomes angry and upset and it doesn't like me very That's much. Right. That's right. And if you look at the reviews on Sephora or on other beauty subreddits or what have you, it's unanimous. And other people always say the same thing. It's like, I, I, I've tried to find alternatives yeah. to counteract the price and I keep coming back to this. It is worth every penny. I say, uh, you will pry it out of my cold, dead hands and I want to be buried with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. It wasn't on my list. I do love that product. And, and now maybe to counteract that, I have a very cheap beauty product Ooh. that I cannot live without. And that is the basic ass OG Vaseline. Oh, okay. Vaseline, uh, my mom always, always, always had it in the house and she used to kind of like, she used to put it on her hands and stuff as moisturizer and I found it a bit greasy for that, but you know, I knew she loved it. I revisited Vaseline later in life uh, because people were saying that it was great, a great conditioner for your eyelashes. You put it on your eyelashes before you go to bed and they are somehow fortified, strengthened, shiny and happy and healthy. And I was just kind of like, all right, Vaseline is fucking cheap. I will check it out. And what I discovered inadvertently is that Vaseline is the very best eye makeup remover, pound for pound, dime for dime. It is cheap and it will get rid of, like anyone who has seen me in person knows that I do not apply lightly. And in order to get the dramatic effect that I want, I'm always using primer. I'm always using sealer. Vaseline cuts through that shit. Easy peasy. I use it with um, those reusable, rewashable. yes. The pads thing. And and you can buy little travel things of Vaseline. And that is actually one thing that I cannot live without. Even if I'm traveling, every time I see eye makeup removers in a a pad form or in a formula and it costs so much, I'm like, fuck you. You cannot touch Vaseline. Conditions, removes, moisturizers, all that shit. Well, that's actually very impressive because uh, back in the day, I think it was over the pandemic early on um, on Patreon, you did like an eye makeup tutorial Uh and then I tried to follow it. Yeah. And then in the removal process, it was my face was just, I look like Michael Stipe with like yeah, the black yeah. streaks across my face. Corpse paint. Yeah. yeah it yeah. was okay. Well, that's, that's hot. Vaseline. You use it with those pads and then you wash afterwards and like all that yeah. greasiness washes off. I'm not, I, I don't understand how my mom could tolerate that amount of greasy oiliness on them like perpetually, but uh, yeah, I recommend. My next one is um, a pair of sneakers. Oh. Um, I was thinking about footwear. I have another piece of footwear that I wear quite regularly, but if I'm thinking of a road scenario, I over the pandemic invested in a pair of Nike Internationalists Mm -hmm. uh, and they're just a basic sneaker, um, but this was the first proper sneaker I have bought in a long time. I have big feet. I'm quite tall uh, and I also have very high arches in my feet and I really love to go for walks. Walks are my like thing. They are Mm -hmm. my meditation. They are my therapy. They are uh, very important to me and uh, so I'm a little uh, saddened because it's now gotten cold again. We had a nice few warm days last week where I was back to wearing my sneakers again and I was like going for walks and I was like, it's like I'm walking on air and I could walk forever. Uh, And I love them. But uh, my other pair of shoes, which I would normally wear um, if it's too cold for my Nikes is um, the Doc Martens, uh, the Flora. They're like Mm -hmm. a Chelsea boot, but with vegan leather. So they're much more uh, give in Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. 
but I'm saying Nike internationalists. Interesting. It's worth, you know what? As I get older into my late thirties, it is truly worth investing in the products that are comfy and supportive. Oh yeah. And they're just chic enough to work. They don't quite work with every outfit, but I don't care. Nice. They're so comfy. I don't care. Yeah. Well, I have footwear on my list that is firmly in the, I don't give a fuck what people think category (laughs) because friends, they're Crocs. This is as basic as it gets, but Crocs makes a sandal and they're called the Brooklyn Platform Sandal. First of all, I grew up with, my dad wore Crocs uh, gardening. They used to be gardening shoes. So my dad would always have a pair of Crocs on the way to go out back. And if I had to go out back for any reason, I would just kind of slam my feet in them and I'd be like, holy fuck, these are comfy. So I was kind of a secret fan of Crocs to begin with. So when I saw that Crocs made a platform sandal, which is to say, that the maximum of the heel is maybe three and a half or four inches. And then under the ball of your foot is down to maybe two. And then there's two thick straps that go over the top of your foot. They are matte black and they have all of the benefits of Crocs with all of the flexibility of a nicer sandal. Um, They are very lightweight. They are very grippy. If they get wet, it ain't no thing, but they are so cute that surprisingly, I feel like I could wear them just as easily to a summer wedding as I could to the beach. And I discovered these through <laughs> Rodrigo's wife. Oh, yeah. When I went to Mexico, she had them. And I was like, oh, these are interesting. These are comfy. And her feet are way bigger than mine. But I put my feet in them nonetheless. And I was like, I need to buy these. Now, sadly, the current Brooklyn model from Crocs has an ankle strap that I'm not keen of. I prefer them as slides. Sure. And the ones that I have as are, are slides, but like they're starting to wear out. So I need another pair. I might just cut off that little back yeah. strap yeah. unless I want it. But, uh, but yeah, I recommend if you want something that is stylish and highly functional, very essential summer product for me. Nice. Fucking Crocs. Kill me. Listen, we're all selling out. This is what we're learning about ourselves. Apparently. Um, uh, and the goal of not selling out, I uh, restricted the brand name that I usually go for, uh, for this next item, but it is Dark Roast Coffee. Now, the brand name I usually go for is not a fan of allowing unions to form in their stores. Boo. Which is boo, hiss, shame. What brand? Starbucks. Oh, I didn't know that about Starbucks. Yeah, they're they're not great. Okay. But I love Starbucks, but they're evil. Anyway, so I've been on the hunt for dark roast coffee. I'm trying a lot of more, like we're in Toronto, a great coffee city. Uh, we've got a lot of local um, coffee houses near where I live. So I'm trying out a lot of theirs and there's some really good ones, but I think I really just have come down to, A, I need my coffee and B, it needs to be fucking dark roast. Cause I'm really, you know, focusing on my finances and things like that. And I can just make it at home mm-hmm. and I save so much money. I know it's, it's a weird millennial thing, but it just, it does save me money. Um, and just a dark roast coffee brews so much better at home from my taste buds. Okay. It tastes like coffee. It doesn't taste weird and watery. So yeah, dark roast coffee. If I was in like the apocalypse and someone was giving me coffee and it wasn't dark roast, yeah. I'd be sure losing myself. Interesting. See, I didn't put coffee on my list, but I was really tempted to because I am not a person until I've had coffee. Mm-hmm. I know that about myself and, and I've I know that about wondered yourself. if it's all in my head, if I just need to like kind of wake up, take a cold shower, if there's other things. No, I need my fucking coffee. It truly is. I'm not I'm not sure I would say the same about 
myself fully, but Andrea has, like, we've traveled together. We stayed in the same rooms together. Like, there's a real, you're, like, up in the morning, you kind of, like, nod at me and just, like, quietly go make a coffee in the hotel room. And Mm -hmm. then just, like, you're sipping it. And then eventually you just start talking. Yeah. No, I'm not a person. It's a very real thing. Yeah. It is. And it's kind of why, like, you know, Airbnbs are a thing. I think they're destroying Toronto. So, you know, I have feelings. But the one thing that hotel rooms will always have an edge on is I want a single cup coffee instantly upon waking up or everyone will suffer. Yeah. Not just me. Yeah. We used to have a whole other podcast host until we stayed in Airbnb and Andrea murdered her. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's not pretty. Poor Sally. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I actually have a pick that's more basic than my Crocs. (gasps) Tell me more. Once upon a time, Mm -hmm. I went into a Lululemon store. Oh, shit. And I was looking at the black leggings. Are they the Align leggings? I don't know. This is the thing is I was, I was hoping, I was hoping a Lululemon employee listening to this could perhaps help me because what happened was as I was gaping incredulously at the tremendous offerings Lululemon has by way of black leggings, a staff person came up to me and said, can I help you? And I was like, uh, 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 and she grabbed a pair of leggings. She put them in my hand, looked me in the eyes, leaned forward conspiratorially and said, these will suck you in. They won't pill and they'll stay black forever. And I went to the change room, but I could have gone straight to the cash because holy fuck, did she read me up and down. Wow, goth recognized goth. Right? And I would love to just say that was an excellent salesperson who sold me a very overpriced pair of leggings, except that I've lived in them in the years since. Mm. And that wasn't a recent story. That was at least five or six years ago. Mm. And I'm still fucking wearing those Lululemons. There is a reason that little ohm symbol on your lower back is is as ubiquitous as it is. Those are fucking good leggings. And I wish I could remember which ones they were because I could use another pair. I, I have just, I've heard so many people like an influencers and people like that, that I follow talk about the Align leggings. Align? In, yeah. In the same way you're talking uh-huh. about these ones. So I don't know, but maybe Google Align leggings. I live in them. My only complaint is that when it gets cold, they are very thin. Uh, even just running out for a walk with Dante, I have to sure. throw something on over top, but it's a small concession for a pair of leggings that I've worn every day for six years. Shit. That's as bougie as I get. Let's get on to me being cool. Oh uh, no, the rest of these are not cool. Oh no, my next one is particularly not cool, but deeply important to me being a functional human being, my weighted blanket. Uh, I, I have one of those. love my weighted blanket. Mm-hmm. I just got it from Amazon. It's nothing fancy. Again, another horrifying corporation. But it, uh, I, I remember reading about it, at, like re- weighted blankets and the benefits and I have the money and I went for it and I use it most months out of the year when I sleep unless it's like the dead heat of summer and uh-huh. then it's just too hot even though I have AC in my room it's just it's too much um so I am very grateful to be in high weighted blanket season uh-huh. and I just pull it up around myself and no matter what I'm feeling throughout the day it slowly like just decompresses me and it feels so stabilizing and safe and then with a really bad hangover just bring that thing along to the couch. Yeah. Did it surprise you how effective it was? Yeah. I thought I was kind of a 
the gimmick, I was not sure what effect it would have on me. And it's something I truly miss during those, you know, July, August months. Mm -hmm. And I am so happy to bring it out again. It's so funny because, and I feel like this was kind of a a realization that I arrived in at some point in the 90s when we went from really, really loose pants to really, really tight pants. Mm. That I was like, tight pants are actually way more comfortable. That feeling of compression is comforting, like less fabric to move around. I got a weighted blanket for um, my birthday. I think Dustin got it for me a couple of years ago and I love it. However, I don't like sleeping with it. I think Mm, it's because I move around too much in my sleep. And so it always turns into a big, heavy wad in the middle of the bed. But I agree that like when you are settling down and expressly like, I'm going to chill out. I am going to cozy up into the couch and not move until I have to pee next. Weighted blankets can't be beat. And do you have a proper hush one or does it matter? No, it's just, it was like an Amazon basics one. Yeah. I can't remember which one mine is either. Yeah. I know there's some like really nice ones that look even like nicer and fluffier, but Mine is just a real basic one and compression. Yeah, it's I love a thing. It. It's a thing it. with my Lulus. It's a thing with my weighted blankets. It's a thing when Dante is freaking out from a storm. Put him in some PJs and he's fine. Aww. There's something comforting about weight. It's the damnedest it's thing. It's like I just always want to be wrapped up like a burrito. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, okay. My penultimate thing mm-hmm. I can't live without. I put my audiobooks in my wireless headphones. Nice. And you know I was resistant to wireless headphones because I was like, holy shit, countdown till I lose those. That is way too easily lost. And look, they are. I have lost them many a time. I've wasted many hours, probably days of my life looking for them. But goddamn, when I have them and they're there and I can slap on an audiobook and do all my chores, it is bliss. I hate housework. Everyone hates housework, but I love my audiobooks. And so having the freedom to move around the way I can, I love my wireless headphones. Oh God, big second up wireless headphones. Almost made it on to my list. And also a big shout out to audiobooks because you have been such a stan of audiobooks. And it was only in the very end of last year that I was like, oh, okay, I figured it out on my phone and I got it because all the podcasts I listened to were obviously on hiatus as they should be. Uh Um, And I figured it out. And the first audiobook I listened to was Stanley Tucci's memoir, Taste, Uh which is delightful. And I highly recommend it. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around the way he says culinary, which is culinary. Boo. Culinary? I don't like that. Anyway, but it's it's a fantastic book, and he's so delightful and warm as mm-hmm. he reads it. And where did you access it? Was that through the library? Through uh, the Libby. Yeah. Libby, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that's still through my Toronto Public Library. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I used Overdrive, but I used the Toronto Public Library at the beginning of my audiobooks journey, and I went kicking and screaming into Audible because a very kind listener of this podcast, Pete, if you're listening, I love you, um, bought me a, a three-month trial. And I was like, oh shit, okay, no, Aww, this is it. Yeah, you this mentioned that. And I've been in it ever since. And Audible isn't cheap, but they give you one credit for one book per month. And I like listening to big, fat, fucking epic mm. books that probably take me about a month. So I'm getting my money's worth. And I have never looked forward to chores as much as I have, thanks to audiobooks plus wireless headphones. Can't live without. It's great. No, it's really great. Now I'm on to Chuck Klosterman's new book, The 90s. Mm-hmm. 
which is all about the decade of the 90s. Yeah. And it's, it's a great way to listen to things. Cool. Yeah. And so. like, I, you know, some are better than others. Yeah. Uh, I, I especially love when they're narrated by the author. Yeah. I love that. And I'm so excited that you're getting into it and I can yeah. recommend you stuff. Please do. No, any other recommendations for audiobooks? Um, I'm him all ears. Cool. Uh, so my last can't live without as I tuck my hair behind my ears, my hair straightener. Oh my God. Good one. I have fine hair, but I have a lot of it. It is also, when it dries naturally, like a third straight, a third curly, and a third wavy. Mm. It is all kinds of things. And now I have bangs. So it's a whole moment as it dries. And even when I <laughs> uh, dry it with a hair dryer. Um, so I need my hair straightener. It is just so much more manageable. And in this last year, uh, I invested from like just the usual winner's tat I would get yeah, yeah. in a hair straightener to just a GHD. Okay. Um, I find it pulls less on my hair and I just have the basic G I know there is very fancy versions of it. I just have the basic one. Um, and I just find it's much faster. It, it heats up really quickly and I, I really love it and, um, use it every time after I've washed my hair and it's dry. I love it. So you wash your hair, you let it dry naturally and then you flat iron? Um, with, before I had bangs, I would let it air dry oh, like in the evening and then overnight. And then I would, uh, flat iron in the morning. And uh -huh. now that I have bangs because I have a cowlick in the front, I have to blow dry them. And then I wind up just blow drying my whole head of hair. And it's right, still right. like, it's even more wild. Uh -huh, uh -huh. It's, yeah. it's like a lion's mane. It's crazy. Yes. I feel like I can forego the blow dryer, but I can't forego that's the flat it. iron. That's it. And a really good flat iron. I've been in the market for, for a new really good one. So that's interesting. Yeah. Just the basic one. I got it on Sephora. Again, they have all fancy doodads, but I just went for the basic one and I really, it heats up in less than 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking wild. I've always been tempted by those ones I see at uh, at winners that are battery operated. It's like, is that a good thing to just have in my purse for when it rains and my bangs get all fucky? You ever tried one of those? No. <laughs> You know, I do. I, I just, I'm just imagining you with yet another large purse. Just, just being like, Alex, me. the raid, and just in a quarter under an Audi, just straightening your fucking bathroom at the cake. As I'm like, we have to go somewhere. No, no. My big beauty hack of the last couple of years is cut your bangs so short that they don't have time to curl. Yeah. <laughs> That's a beauty hack for free. There you go. Uh, wait till we go to New York and we're in the same hotel room and I shave your head. Yeah, do it. Sleepover magic. Please. My last last item is such a granny item, but you guys, I cannot live without Tiger Bomb. Oh, okay. I've had Tiger Bomb before. I've never truly understood how to use it. Please tell me about I, it. I, well, you know, I hold all my tension in my upper shoulders and the back of my neck. I am hunched over my laptop all day. And I notice that when I'm anxious, at least I'm working through meditation and through other things, I'm working to notice when I am tense to visibly, uh, consciously relax, stand up straight align my head properly and you know the blood flows better and you're less tense and it's just there's so many reasons I often forget and I'm often in a lot of pain I also have a very old uh, whiplash injury that oh, tends yeah. to flare up if I don't stretch properly which is always and tiger balm is this minty substance where a little bit goes a long way it is a deliciously warming and cooling at the same time sensation and if I have any pain or tension in my neck and upper back, I cannot sleep without it. I cannot sleep. It puts me to sleep like a baby. It's like a soother. Oh, that's nice. It is nice. And uh, Dustin spent a lot of money on this 
stick that's basically a mentholated uh, tiger bomb-esque Mentholated. Yeah. What a great word. Mentholated. <gasps> and it also has CBD uh, aspects to it, and it was like 40 bucks a stick. How big is a stick? Know. I don't know. It depends on how much you use it, right? Sure, how quick sure. you go through it. I take, uh, you know, uh, ab- about a year to go through a small thing of tiger bomb mm. at this thing because it's a stick. You just kind of apply it like a glue stick to the back of your neck. You know, the way you would apply a glue stick to the back of your neck. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I hate that I'm such a granny that things I can't live without include pain management, but... Um, oh my God, no, management of any kind of pain is so... Where would one find Tiger Bomb? I'm curious and I'd love to The, the, the grocery store, thing okay. Is that, like, it's always kind of in the alternative medicine. Ah, okay. So you like a health food store? Yeah. Okay, okay. But it doesn't... It's ridiculous. It, it doesn't make sense. It It is so ubiquitously effective and highly regarded that I don't understand understand why it's not. Yeah, I don't know. Huh, I'll have to keep an eye out for that. I kind of want to try that because sometimes I've got like the tall girl hunch mm-hmm. all the time and I'm forever like trying to sit up straight and it doesn't always work. But sometimes I get back pain or yeah. like leg pain or something like that. Well, let Ooh. me tell you what pairs nicely with Tiger Bomb is a hot bath and a weighted blanket. Mm. Check that out. Love those things. 2023. The year of living cozy and in our safety and comfort. <laughs> More like the year of old kook. Yeah. All right, I think it's time for a few more bloopers. I need some more bloopers. The film opens with teenager Alex Browning pretend... Good start. Okay. You know, we're sitting here watching a horror movie. Uh, Campbell, fuck off, English. Come on, burp, just come. You know when you start every sentence and you're like, should I pause? Shit. One of... Uh, There it is. Hand on the chest, leaned into the mic. (laughs) Eye contact. <laughs> it's very intimate. Esoteric and all right. I I launch into something, Alan, and Andrea's like, now's the time to pour wine. Did she just say esoteric? I'm gonna need some sips for this. <laughs> and an obnoxious laugh. And a burp with a little bit of juge at the end. Ow. You can tell we've both had good night sleeps. Orgies. Orgies. Say it again. And then we can go smoke, and then we can talk about sex, baby. Um, But it also features a lot of, like, now stars, like Jeremy Renner, Imogen Poops, Idris Elba. You just said poops. (laughs) Let's take that one more just. We have beer today, so it might be a burpy episode. Pumpkin beer. Pumpkin beer. Pumpkin burps. Making those money moves and getting... Uh. Whoa! That came out of nowhere! Hey, hey, we're the monkeys! We just monkey around, and we're too busy singing to eat everybody down. Hey, hey, we're the rage monkeys. Edible tattoo. Uh, that that edible tap. Fuck off. They find Edna's. Wow. They found Edna's house empty and locked from the outs. Stop it now. Eventually, Michi reads. No. Eventually, Michi. Stop it. Eventually, Michi re- Stop that. Eventually, Michi meets... It's not ch- Michi. About uh, Japan... Co- pop- Drink more. It helps. Uh, mm-hmm. um, that was a cute one, huh? That was a young one. It made you giggle. The four lit... <laughs> what was that? It was, that was scary. The episode is haunted. Was that, was that Hugh Crane? It was pretty rude. Sorry. Was that Abigail? Was it Andrea? Uh, oh. There's one for the files. 
Andrea trying to sabotage. Calling all y'all, it's a sabotage. Trailer. Hello. Hello. <laughs> this is my dumping cabin. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's bad. <laughs> this is the cabin where I go to for my dumps. For my dumps. <laughs> Trailer time. Trailer time. Sip a beer. Sip a beer. So I think one of the most iconic scenes is when... Um, that? Was yeah. that it? That yeah. was pretty iconic. That was it. That was it. That's when, uh, that is the exact noise that Hill House makes as it's <laughs> banging on the doors of uh, Eleanor and uh, Theo's bedroom. Oh, that one nice. was gross. That one had flavor. I love that it took a visionary filmmaker and a visionary, blip, blip, Alan help. And, uh, and uh, I'll link it in the short show, blip, blip. And I'll link, really? Mm-hmm. Things like electrothock show. <laughs> and selfish and the only way we can keep it in track and in the from the gunshot wound in the stop it you start making sense say the words properly nicer to yourself please say the words properly can you please you can do this jim dies from a gunshot wound in the gunshot wound we all saw the gunshot It's hard to be nice to yourself when you're so fucking dumb. Hey, no, just, you're talking to my friend. Be nice to her. I don't know, maybe it's in the rest of the year. In the rest of the Europe. <laughs> from that play, it means colloquial. From that me, uh, fuck me, I'm tired. This is really horror. Uh, Office hours are closed. I hate that. Let's do something else. Yeah. And we're back. Oh dear, this tastes like a chocolate milkshake. In a bad way? No, in a delight. I'm worried about this now. I like those, but like I can only drink one. Sorry, listeners. Uh, Andrea just handed me a Flying Monkey Craft Brewery, the Chocolate Manifesto Chocolate (laughs) Stout. Oh, we're 10% alcohol. Oh my. 10%? 10%. Look at this. Okay, party. Do you not leave it it? all in? No, I like it. I'm just worried about how delicious it is. (laughs) Oh, the brandy. It's coming back. Yeah, the sherry. <laughs> the sherry is what I meant. Yeah, we killed a few brain cells that night. Yeah, so um, much so that we're calling sherry brandy. Next up is something that makes me feel like I am not an actual film journalist. Because I had never before heard of the sight and sound list. Yeah, so this is something, and it's from the British publication Sight and Sound, which is a fantastic uh, magazine, periodical, whatever you want to call it it about film. I subscribe to them. I pay a pretty penny to do so, but they have fantastic content um, about new and emerging filmmakers. And every 10 years, they release the top 100 greatest films of all time list. It is based on top 10 lists by critics, programmers, curator, archivists, and academics. Uh, We know a few people who have been invited to contribute their lists. Mm -hmm. And then there's also a separate filmmaker's list. Mm -hmm. And so these are released, as I mentioned, every 10 years. And so the last list was released just a few months ago. And it, of course, as one would imagine, sent film Twitter, film podcast, film YouTube, 
into quite the tailspin. Uh-huh. What was omitted? What was added? Why was it? What was it? snubbed? I love snubbed. Oh, I mean, media and social media moves the conversation and the discourse so, so quickly that it's hard to catch hold of these things. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this one hung on for a strong, like, 48 hours yeah. that I saw. And this one is an interesting one because after the previous 10 years one, this one had over 1,500 participants. Um, it was a much wider and more diverse group of participants who contributed to the list. Um, some noticeable things was there was far more entries from women filmmakers, from more marginalized filmmakers, and there was far less of uh, films that were made in the 90s. Yeah. So less Tarantino, less Paul Thomas Anderson. Some of the um, dialogue around that was that, ooh, maybe all of their films kind of split their votes. Like, there's a whole kind of gamification of this. But one of the notable things about this 2022 list, and this is greatest films of all time, was that for the first time ever, a female director was at the top of the list. That was Chantal Ackerman's 1976 film, Jean Dillemin, which is on Criterion Channel. I have Criterion Channel. I pay a pretty penny for it every month. And I've looked at watching it and it's over three hours long and I have not been able to bring myself to watch it. So... (laughs) That's where I'm at. Well, another thing that I noticed, and you sent me a lot of useful links just to, like, mm. why don't we do a list like this for for our January episode of Faculty of Horror? But also, here's some here's some resources to give some context to the list. And, and I did note uh, the increased diversity in recent years. But another thing I noticed, and again, this harkens back to my, uh, my past life as a sociologist, mm. as a stats nerd, and as a, um, a market researcher, that these votes are not aggregated. People People send their top 10 list unranked. Yeah. And so it's just how many times that film appears and it doesn't factor in how high or low that appears in the list, which is the statistician (laughs) in me is just kind of like, listen, you know what? They're British. But at the same time, like insofar as I was sweating my top 10 best of horror list for this year, uh, coming up with the movie nerd Super Bowl, the 10 greatest films of all time. To be clear, we're about to pare it down to our 10 greatest horror films of all time. Uh, uh, Were we supposed to do greatest horror? I've got one non-horror film on my list. Will you permit me that? Get out. No, that's not it. (laughs) It's another one. No, no, you can have it. I only have one. And just because I was like... Again, let's talk now about our internal criteria because the criteria is a bit specious. If you're going to talk about like the greatest films of all time, for me, these are the films. Greatest horror films of all time. Greatest horror films. Plus one for Andrea. Plus one for Andrea. These are films that I would recommend to somebody without caveat, without context. This is good because, no, just watch it right away because it is good. These are those films. um, They exist for me outside of trends, outside of time, outside of context, they'll be as good now as they were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 20 years from now, in my opinion. That was my criteria going into this. I echo everything you've said. Mm -hmm. The only things I would add to it was um, looking at my list and there was a good period about this time last week when I was putting together this list and I was staring at it Mm -hmm. and I have like a weird, like scary serial killer version of it where I was just scrawling additional titles. with upside down crosses. Yeah. And, uh, And I was like, like, surely if I stare at this list long enough, 10 will become 
14 films that I can somehow have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and it didn't. And I had to really pare it down. But I, I was like, okay, on top of everything you said, they also, these are films that are either widely imitated but never replicated. Okay. Or so unique and original that they've never been replicated. Okay. Okay. And would you say that your 10 list, like, um, unlike our top 10 of the year and similar to the faulty aggregation of the actual sight and sound list, are these ranked? These are more ranked. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. So shall we go from 10 to one? Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to each read out our list from 10 to one, and then we're going to discuss them. Okay. You and know what? I'm going to sub out my non-horror list. Wow. I'll mention it later for honorable mentions, but I had some honorable mentions that I will tack on here. No, I'll tack that on to the end. Yeah. Okay. I'm wow. Good. Wow. No, no. I'm just, I'm, I'm just reading the assignment a little wow. late. I'm okay. Okay. All right. But yes, as Alex was saying, we're going to go through each of our lists in their entirety. And I'm going to jot down Alex's as she's saying them and, and we'll discuss them after the fact rather than one-to-one. Because I'm curious. Did. I feel like we will have some overlap, but I feel like we will absolutely not deviate. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Are we going from 10 to 1? Let's do 10 to 1. Am I going first? You go first. Uh, why Wait, am I pen. nervous all Give of me a sudden. pen. You need, a, you need a pen. I don't know. I just want to write the ones that so I can remember. Okay. okay. All right. Okay. Number 10, Sporloose, a.k.a. The Vanishing. Number 9, Pan's Labyrinth. Number eight, Get Out. Number seven, The Wicker Man. I hate listing them out like this. The original. The original. What, what, what do you think? Number six, The Witch. Number five, Night of the Hunter. Number four, The Innocents. 1961. <laughs> Number three, Night of the Living Dead. Number two, The Devils. Number one, The Shining. Well, my friend. What? We have some overlaps. Really? Yeah. Okay, okay, you go, you go. I'm going to write them all down. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There was uh, a few I expected on yours that were on there. Uh, a couple lovely surprises. And, okay, okay, okay. Okay, now I'm nervous. <laughs> okay. My number 10, Scream. Okay. 1996. Obvi. Number nine, Suspiria 2018. Number eight, American Psycho 2000. Okay. Number seven, The Witch. Yeah. Number six, Audition. Number five, The Stepford Wives. Number four, Get Out. Number three, The Exorcist. Number two, Alien. Number one, The Shining. Wow! <laughs> Oh, oh, that is delicious. Is that good? The same number. The same number one. Guys, we did an episode on The Shining. We could probably do another episode this year that would be completely different. It's the film that keeps on giving. I I rewatched it when we were in the midst of some kind of like terrifying winter storm here in Ontario recently. And I was like, time to rewatch The Shining. I've been wanting to rewatch it. And God, it's just perfect. It is perfect. And it is of perpetual frustration to me that fans of the film that want to continue talking about it get stuck on stuff like the floor map of the Overlook. Like, I like was, the whole Room 237 doc of it. I was so it. disappointed yeah, in that documentary because I was like, I feel what you're you're missing, what is so magical about this film and how I feel like I have grown up with this film and it's better every time I watch it. The older I get, the better it is. I do feel that way about The Exorcist too and it didn't make my list, but Let's let's start by talking about where we did come together. Obviously, The Shining at number one. Yep. Get Out. You had it at number four, and yes. I had it at number nine. Yep. Near perfect film, right? It, uh, yeah. No, it's 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 perfect. I rewatched that 
again recently, and it just, it was the perfect film at the perfect moment. Trump was just in office and we needed some catharsis. Yeah. And art is about catharsis and it was perfect. My it entire is platform, like the entire thing that got me interested in the intersection of horror movies and society was that horror makes the sugar go down. It makes yes. the medicine go down is what yes. I meant to say. I fucked that up. <laughs> but like Get Out, the fact that it is so watchable, it is so funny. You can enjoy it on so many levels, but it will always remain forever cemented in history as a very, very critical and important snapshot of its time and a perfect meeting point between comedy, horror, drama, and reality. Perfection. Yeah. Unimpeachable. Yeah. And then we both had The Witch on our list. Yeah. I was, I so thought that was an outlier for me. That one was off and on my list, to be honest, because I was just like, is that too new? Is that too trendy? Is that too niche? But again, I feel like, not to compare it with The Shining or Get Out, but I feel like its appeal is largely universal and timeless. And it is such beautiful artistry and very unique in the way it posits itself. The way its language is so specific and it's singular. It is because it's historical horror that is progressive. Yes. It shows why someone would choose to not look towards Christianity and to look towards a patriarchy and would actually find joy and salvation in something different. Exactly. And we haven't seen anything like that before. And we haven't seen anything quite like that since, at least not in a historical context, as you said. The modern woman is emancipated in so many different ways, but to see it put like that within the context of, you know, like Satanism, when witchcraft and Satanism were so, so reviled and people were so scared of it. It's very, very special. I'm so excited. And I knew you would have a Romero on your list. You did. Night of the Living Dead. I I wasn't sure if it was going to be night or dawn. I prefer night to dawn. Yeah, I feel like I might have known that. Maybe I didn't. I feel like night is is a bit more pure. Yeah. It's a bit more honest. It's less heavy handed with its allegory. And I find it a little bit more watchable in that it's not as long. It's not as plodding. It's not as gimmicky. I think it is on this list just because by virtue of the way I stumbled upon it was like late night TV, you're flicking around and it just sucked me in. Mm. And for something so watchable to have such a gut punch ending that is still a gut punch when I rewatch it well into my 40s now, I felt it deserved a spot on this list. I was also so um, excited and happy to hear you say Sporlos. Um, I recently rewatched that back in like October, November. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's on Criterion and I'd seen it years ago. I rewatched it and it was like, God, what a terrifying fucking film. I was kind of grasping for my favorite. I I realized that my films were were pretty North American. Sure. And I was kind of looking for something uh, not so North American, like to include, like what are are some of my favorites? And again, it's harder to speak to a context outside your own in terms of timelessness and in terms of uh, political relevance and stuff. But Sporloose was actually an honorable mention because I kicked out my one non-horror title. Look, I understand and respect every single title on your list. Alien is, again, unimpeachable perfection. The, the Single woman and her cat <laughs> save the universe. This is the biopic that I want. I mean, it's always going to kind of grind my gears that they're going to be like, no, it's not a feminist movie. We just wrote the rule for a man and then we had a woman play it and it worked out really well. It's like, what 
is that telling you? Listen to your own success. Learn. Uh, it is, you know, it, Ripley is one of the most iconic heroines in cinema, not and it's just a in horror. Terrifying film from like not only the character elements of it, there's a design element of yes. it that it's just taking this haunted house format, transposing it into space, and fully and completely realizing it. All of the sexual imagery, the yeah. Giger stuff, the penetration, the it, it's great. The characters are fantastic. There's, I have nothing bad to say about this film. And I would recommend it to absolutely anyone, which absolutely warrants a spot on this list. Uh, the Stepford Wives, an inspired choice. Oh, I feel like you. I had to choose between that and Get Out because I felt like that was almost like birds of another feather. Yeah, I love them both so much and they just mean so much to me that, mm-hmm. uh, again, is my personal list. They both reserve very special spots on there. Mm-hmm. But I, I see that point totally. But yeah, Audition. Yeah. An inspired choice. I do love that film. I don't know if I could advocate for as universal an appeal as I was looking for in my list. It. I mean, this was a film that I watched because of the podcast, uh, because it was something you were like, no, we should absolutely do it. I'd heard so much about it. And then, you know, it'd been so hyped and how can everything, how can anything ever live up to that hype that watching it, it really affected me. And then, you know, we've been working on a project and revisited audition for it. It was a film I was automatically drawn to for the project and it was a film that kept delivering for me on it mm-hmm. um you know and that was actually the same with um american psycho I, I had seen it before the podcast but again it was part of this project and uh it it just it is so singular it is so visionary it is so simple and i don't think it could ever be replicated it's also a drum i'm always desperate to bang especially since after charlie says came out and yeah. i heard so much hate about mary heron i was like what the <sighs> fuck how has she not earned your respect with this timeless classic called american psycho that you all enjoy even the frat boys who don't get it and are trying to emulate because they don't understand because they don't understand it at least can respect the filmmaker behind it no not even i would love to hear more about uh your inclusion of the wicker man because that is a fantastic film the wicker man is such a weirdly sophisticated horror film in that it is subtle in its horror and you know i love a musical. Uh, yes, that's true. And I understand why people don't always resonate with musicals, but I really felt like the soundtrack contributed to a vibe. Every single song, I actually listen to the soundtrack at my leisure all the time. Ah. And every single song has a twinge of weird pagan feminist sure. corn rigs and barley rigs and the landlord's daughter. And it's just like, how many misogynist folk songs can we think of? Right. You know what I mean? And here's this really proto-feminist. And yet, you know, like we don't talk about it like a supremely feminist film, but it is. And it's a film that uh, that reveals more layers every time I see it and we put it on there. I love it. I'm so glad it's on there. Nice. It's a great one. Uh, and The Devils as well. Look, <laughs> I, I I was like, is that an edgelord pick? And is that an edgelord put pick putting it no. so high up? I don't think so. It's your I, list. It's my list. And look, I like my horror subversive. And if you're going to be subversive and you're going to tackle such easy targets as the Catholic Church, as like true history, to do it so artfully and still so controversially as Ken Russell did, this film is like, I hold it in very high regard and it remains 
contains, you know, my cross-eyed bear that it gets the full uncut version. I think it is a masterpiece in horror. I think that's also kind of why I have The Exorcist on my list and in a different side of San Coin, uh, because I know The Exorcist is always labeled as religious horror, and I think it wears that, but um, I'm pretty sure we discussed it in our episode on it. I don't view it to be a religious horror film because in the end, it's more about Father Karras's human goodness and his belief in wanting to save someone that's not about the chance and not about the robes. It's about like, I'm actually going to fucking sacrifice myself to save this situation. Yeah. It's about maybe a more pure, true Christianity. I think my read of the film is perhaps a little bit more paranormal in that it's about a priest who has lost his faith and it's harder to see the divine than it is to see evidence of evil. And, you know, sometimes when you see evidence of evil, it's like if evil like this exists, something else has to exist too. And I feel like that's really Father Karras's journey. But alongside that, there's very real human ordeals with motherhood, single motherhood, feminist motherhood. Like we talked about a lot of this in in that episode, but like there are so many reasons why this is an undisputed classic and why it can never be ever replicated. Going back to what you said before. that's not about David Gordon Green has to say Oh, he's not going to... No, 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 no. <laughs> there is no way. I don't like talking in certainties about films that don't yet exist, but there is no way a film released in 2023 by David Gordon Green and Blumhouse is going to have that fuck me scene with the crucifix. Yeah. There is no way. That was boundary blasting at the time and still is today. Well, I think it's going to be like a sequel because Ellen Burstyn's in it. I don't fucking care. You know, we can all have our Jamie Lee moment. That's I have the new millennium. Zero faith that it will be watchable, much less good. And The Exorcist, I feel like, is a weird cinematic oddity yeah. in that it exists. Yeah. Just like The Devils. Like, it, yeah. it, it shouldn't. Uh, I'd love to hear more about Pan's Labyrinth because I also think that is a fantastic film. Pan's Labyrinth for me is, um, it's such a great gateway film into people who aren't sure they love horror and that it's a dark fairy tale. I feel like it has the scares, it has the effective special effects, it has the historical context to ground it all, but it also has a lot of heart yeah. and a lot of feels and a lot of emotions. And again, I was try- I was trying to pull in films that weren't North American, that were kind of outside of the box, and uh, it's it's hands down my favorite of Guillermo del Toro's yes. output. Yeah. And so that's what got it there. Suspiria 2018, look, I love it, but I do have some criticisms of it, and I feel like if I were to recommend it, there would be some caveats, which kept it off my list. Fair. Yeah. Um, I, I do feel like it's over long. I do feel like some of the Chloe Grace Moritz dialogue was, um, I don't want to say sloppy. I'm going to say discordant with the with the tone of the rest mm-hmm. of the film. And so I feel like if I were to recommend it to somebody, I'd be like, mm. but. I th- it is my most rewatch horror film of the last, was it five years since it came out? Wow. Four years? Yeah. yeah. I've, I've rewatched it so many times. And uh-huh. in the period I've gone through in the last four years, this has been the biggest comfort film that I have found. Yeah. Uh, Like truly, like every time um, uh, when they say to Susie, like they're going to pay her to be in this dance company because a woman's financial independence is of the utmost importance. I like weep. (laughs) I just weep. I know it's coming. I know she's going to say it. And I just start fucking weeping. (laughs) This is where
where I am in my life, and I fucking love it. Um, I do recommend this film without hesitation. Mm -hmm. And I do know what you're talking about, but I just think it is so successful. And as we were talking about earlier in the episode, in this era of remakes and reboots and requels that are so indebted to the winks and the nods and the hitting you over the head with this was in the original film, Mm -hmm. here's something that is so fucking different. This is the 180. Mm -hmm. So it's still in dialogue with the original if you really know it, but it's also its own thing. And I think that is so exciting. I will say, uh, we've talked about this off mic, but I really didn't care for Bones and all. Mm -hmm. So there was a moment where this almost came off my list because I disliked Bones and all so much. It's that bad. Yes. And I know a lot of people like it. So this is just me talking. If you like it, I I think it's great. That what you've told me about Bones and all, I haven't even seen it yet. And it already makes me feel like maybe Suspirio is a bit of a fluke. And if it was a fluke, then we are so fucking lucky to have And that's fine. That's fine. Night of the Living Dead was the biggest fluke. Should we all have such flukes in our lives? Exactly. Exactly. But it's something that, you know, when I'm thinking about this is my top 10 greatest horror films of all time. For me personally, it's on there. Yeah. It's part of my like soul. And I, I think it's actually pretty inspired that you had a remake on there, which not only shows what a remake should be, but yeah. what a remake could be. Yeah. And something as self-referential as Scream. Yeah. I mean, uh, we'll talk about it when we get into in a moment now, maybe some of our honorable mentions. And I had some other honorable mentions that could have filled this spot, mm-hmm. but I felt like I was putting them on there for another audience mm-hmm. and not for myself. Okay. And again, this is like, I'm recommending something to you, sight on scene. It's like, it kicked off a whole fucking genre of teen films in the 90s. Yeah. It did so much for it, but every time I go back to it, I'm tense, I'm freaked out, and I'm inspired by what I see. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. I think insofar as the 90s were very maligned when we started in our respective careers yeah. know, 10 years ago, I feel like that has softened a bit some, but insofar as people talk about the influence of Scream, they don't always kind of say how rewatchable it is yeah. in its own right and how, you know, in addition to all that influence and, and, and all the novel things it did, it's still on its own, a really solid horror film. Yeah, it is so effective and uh, so evocative mm-hmm. of so many things of the period. And speaking of evocative of the period, Night of the Hunter. Yeah. Didn't even occur to me, but what uh, what a great, great addition oh, to you. a list. It's That was one that you turned me on to. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's subtle. It's, one, it, it's talking about, you know, like the very basest parts of humanity and in, in such a graceful and beautiful way. Again, there's beautiful music about it. It's beautifully shot. It's just a timeless classic. I and uh, can I, sh- I don't know if I, cause I don't think I knew this at the time we were recording our episode on it, mm-hmm. but one of my favorite, well, it's probably my favorite Tori Amos album. I'm a big Tori Amos fan. Uh, her album, The Boys for Pelly, uh, the cover art is inspired by Night of the Hunter. I love that. Yeah. It's I didn't a know that. That's badass great. cover art yeah. too. She's like on like a deck with a fucking shotgun and a rocking chair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yes, Tori. I was trying to think of the old like TCM titles that still fucking slap. Oh. You know, back in the day when, you know, you didn't have to, you didn't have to aim for an R rating. You didn't have to aim for guts and gore to get that shock and you just fucking went for the jugular the old-fashioned way. Should All we right. talk honorable honorable mentions? Yes. I have maybe five. Shut lot. the fuck up. I have five. Hey! No, I have six. I'm sorry. I have six. I predict one crossover title. Oh, okay. Do you want to go first? Sure. And let me start off with 
two. Okay. Uh, so these were the ones that were like I had before I like had my come to Alex talk with myself. Okay. That were almost edging out scream. Uh, one was Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Uh, the other was Black Christmas. Mm-hmm. Both films I love. I think they're perfect. perfect. I think they're amazing. Mm-hmm. But I was like, if I'm being really true to myself, it's fucking scream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, so neither of those made my honorable mentions. Black Christmas was close. Yeah. It was close in its perfection. It just didn't. It's not quite why. there. I, it, it, it should be. It could be. I like, I, I, I have nothing bad to say about it. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, perhaps the same. I, I love it and it's perfect. It's just not one that I'll be excited to rewatch as much as like, I thought if I was putting it on my list, then it's a list for an audience mm. that I'm trying to like appease and felt not like for you myself. Were acknowledging, yes, yes, this is perfect. It's just not my favorite. Yeah. 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 Okay. I had that too. So, um, Onibaba was in my honorable <gasps> mention. Oh, nice. Yeah. I think it's really, it's a really it's a beautiful exploration of folklore as depicted in a then modern context. And I think even for like, a, for a North American audience to watch that and to not have very deep knowledge of that folklore, we could still kind of still get it. I also had Funny Games nice. as an honorable yeah. mention. Uh, I don't think it's to everyone's taste. And I almost, part of me feels like my love for it is kind of fluky and accidental. I don't know that I could say that it's a perfect film. I personally love it, but I don't think that's due to any technical perfection. It's a film on its part. I like more in concept and talking about it more than I enjoy watching it. That's fair. It's a very interesting film. All right. Uh, another one for me was Evil Dead 2. Ah, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, just fucking great. It's so much fun. Uh, another very fun, well, fun, that might be a strong word, uh, film that has meant a lot to me is Carrie. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, like, n- nothing wrong with no, it. No, God, no. It's just, uh, when I think of it, I think of it fondly, but when I think of, I've got a free night and I want to watch a movie, it doesn't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been working on Carrie recently for something. And uh, it's still a fucking great movie. Yeah. It's still like has so much like it's firing on all cylinders. Maybe it's because I have some I have some throwbacks to the book. I have some critiques that I'm like, sure, you know what would have made it scarier? You know what made it edgier? Maybe if Sissy Spacek hadn't been so stunning, yeah, we could have easily more easily believed that she was bullied for being ugly yeah. and weird. Like uh, stupid little things like that. But that's uh, fair. It is a great film. Uh, what's another one for you? Uh, I had Batman Returns on my list. Oh, no. Again, it's kind of a pop schlocky pick. I just love that film. Top to bottom, head to toe. I fucking love it. I love the characters. I love the aesthetic. I love the storyline. I love the feminism. It meant a lot to me Mm -hmm. growing up watching it. And I was like, mom, I want to, I want to. Want to be that? I want a sewing machine. I want Mm. a sewing machine. And she thought I was kidding. And so she never bought me a sewing (gasps) machine. And so it wasn't until I was in university that I was like, I'm going to buy myself a fucking really good sewing machine. And I made my own goddamn clothes for years, thank you very much, because I was so inspired by... If you want to be your own person, you've got to be your own person. Make it happen. And like that clash between domesticity and badassdom was such an intrinsic part of my adulthood awakening. Yeah. It made my list. Hell Very here. personal. Very personal. Uh, a couple others on mine were Under the Skin. Oh, yeah. And from the new French extremity movement, Trouble Every Day. Okay. Claire Denise film, which uh, might be an assignment for you coming up soon. But yes, uh, 
beautiful, be. wonderful film. Okay. So the last horror honorable mention on my list that I thought might appear on yours was Martyrs. So the reason it's not on my list. Yeah. Because fucking Pascal Laguier. Ah. Yeah, the writer-director of Martyrs, I just don't think he's a good person. No, it's not. And I realize more and more I struggle with that as... It's tainting your... A film audience member. And it's not just him. It's it's Darius' other things. Like, I'm not interested in seeing Babylon because I don't think Brad Pitt's a good person. Yeah, and I recognize yeah. there's a lot of um, artists who are not good people. And uh, it's, you know, it's just where I am right now. And I'm, I'm not interested in that. Uh, I will always have a deep love for martyrs. Um, it normally would be on this list, but I, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't want to. And My final horror oh, film? yeah, give it. Nope. <laughs> Fucking love that movie. Yeah, you do. There it is. It almost swapped out Get Out. To be your top 10 films of all yeah. fucking time. Yeah. You don't want to let that marinate It's minute. No, that's why it's not on there. Because okay. I'm letting it marinate more. Right, okay. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. Excellent. Do you have any last ones? Would you like to know the non-horror list? Yeah, please. Up? The non-horror title that I swapped. It's one of my favorite movies of all fucking time, so man. Jesus and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Jesus Christ Superstar. Jesus Christ Superstar, the other one, yeah. Technicolor Dreamcoat is another Andrew Lloyd Webber about Joseph. Nobody fucking cares about Joseph. Listen, Jesus Christ Superstar is not just a musical. It is a rock opera. And the music of this show is so steeped in 70s funk. This isn't your mama's jazz hands, guys. This is some funky-ass shit. And for for those of us, the reason I was able to pull it off my list, not only because it wasn't a horror movie, was because I realized how deeply personal my connection is to this, but I have talked to people who share this connection, that if you grew up with the Jesus story and found it the most unrelatable thing in the world, and then you watch Jesus Christ Superstar and you're like, oh shit, this is actually a very relevant story. These characters are very believable. This situation is as prescient as it is relevant. <sighs> It's hard to explain. It's hard to share, but those who get it really get it. And uh, Norman Jewison shot that film on location in Jerusalem, mm -hmm. so it looks fucking amazing. The cast that he had for the movie, I actually put, <laughs> I have a, I have a vinyl record of the original um, cast recording. Oh, nice! And so I put it on when I was decorating my Christmas tree. But apparently, my record is in such bad condition <gasps> that it was like skipping and all fucked up. Oh no! And Dustin was like, "Oh, okay, like I'll, I'll just call it." up on Spotify because I started complaining and I was like, is this the Broadway cast? You need the movie cast! <laughs> Give me the movie cat. It has to be the movie cast. I am sure I love the Broadway show. I love the movie more than anything. And I think it's a great masterpiece of all time. And it would have been my number six if uh, if I wasn't sticking to I'm, I'm surprised you didn't throw in a little Dune or Barbarella. I acknowledge that both of those movies are kind of shit that I love. Sure. But like I tried to populate these movies with, you know, it's not shit. Yeah. The unshit. <laughs> the unshit shit. So, it's, uh, you know, sight and sound. Call us. Ten years from now, you can don't get a, call us. You can get a wanna... top ten list of the greatest films that just says Pet Cemetery 2 ten times. I don't want to be part of your elitist shit. We wouldn't even rank, first of all. Second of all, statistically, your shit's whack. No. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Faculty of Horror is doing it properly. This shit is ranked. I think, you know, we both had the same number one. Yeah. That is... So we're ultimately correct. We don't even need to do any math to conclusively say that <laughs> According to the faculty of horror, the absolute best 
horror film of all time is Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Yeah, no, we are correct. We have seen every film in existence ever. Uh, we are unimpeachable yeah. in our opinions and taste. Um, However so, wishy-washy I feel about the end of my list, I feel hard on that one. Yeah, no, I just, I, I hope you're all um, excited to be in the dawn of this new era where we accept this <laughs> as gospel. And uh, may, we all, may we all be our own super Christ superstars. And look, if you're critical of our lists, this it's not as easy as you think. Best films of all time. Best horror films of all time. If you're going to send us a list, please send all 10 because it's a lot yeah. harder than it sounds. And yeah. Yeah. And so just for a reference, we will put like our lists in uh, the show notes so you can like actively read them and, and interact with them. Uh, but yeah, no, drop us a line. Like let us uh, reply to us. Reply to us. Your best sight and sound. Your best 10 films of the year. Would still love to hear those if you can think of a title that we haven't thought of. 10 Things You Can't Live Without. I'll fuck with that shit. You got something better than Tiger Bomb? Fuck me up. No, Andrea just brought out her Tiger Bomb and I just put it on my neck and my neck feels fantastic. Nice. It also smells delightful. Well, you smell like a weird menthol gray. Oh, wait. Also, do you guys want some ASMR? Why is that making me salivate? I hate that. Um, no, again, thank you uh, for another great year. Uh, this episode is always a lot of fun for us, and it's a great way to reflect and um, do something a little different. Is it time to announce it is. February's episode? Because it just got a little colder in here. Burr. It just got a little frostier. Oh, I'm and worried I might go out for a drive, Andrea, as oh, an author. I can hear is the clack, 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 clack of an old school typewriter. And that good paper. This February, we are going to get coolly cool with a Stephen King classic called Misery. Oh, it is time for you to dust off your typewriter, do your homework. We are going to spoil the shit out of a movie that is, what, 40 years old? When the fuck did that come out? 1990? Really? Yeah. That's very interesting. So like 30. Love that. 32. 33? 33. Nah. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, often cited as one of the best Stephen King adaptations off it. I, I, Oscar contender. It was Oscar a, winner. Yeah, it was. A, it, it's an exception to so, so many rules. And we're going to get into all of that in our February episode. I'm so excited to revisit it. Yeah. And until the next time, we all agree The Shining is the greatest film ever made. Office hours are closed. Bye.